Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Uh, hi everyone, welcome back to yet another episode. Um, I am joined by Daniel and Long Long. And we are in for a special treat today because we have here with us um, a collector I certainly look to when I want to discuss things over or just have a second opinion on. Um, Someone whose eye for detail, I think, is incredibly skilled and honed um, and his collecting philosophy seasoned. Um, For the sake of this podcast, we'll call him D and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be uh, on this podcast. Uh, believe it or not, this is uh, I've never done a podcast before. I don't think uh, yeah. so. We'll see how this goes, but I'm very excited, but uh, very nervous at the same time. But once again, uh, I think uh, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say it's a dream come true. <laughs> Actually, I thought that that was the line you were going to come up with. But it, it is a dream come true. But I, I have to take it easy. You know, I got to I got to slowly build up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Goals. Life goals. Come on. I have to say, um, so I've been following your account. I mean, you know this because I told you before. I've been following your account since I started mine, and I've been kind of just admiring it from afar. Um, And then I reached out to you earlier last year, and then we kind of, you know, hit it off and, and, and chatted really well. So I also wanted to say thank you for making it relatively easy and not too hard when I invited you on the podcast. I thought, you know, it might have it didn't take too much convincing when I, when I heard that you've never done one before. So thank you for making it easy for me. (laughs) Uh, I would say that is such a long winded way of saying you lurked the guy. And when you messaged out, he didn't tell you to F off. (laughs) Well, I, when I started fall, okay, sure. But when I followed him, I didn't, I wasn't even on this podcast. So yeah. Oh, long time lurk. Yeah, no. no, when I started my account, so like in 2020, yeah. Okay, so for um, those of you who know uh, this collector, you can find him on Instagram at Dubulu, which is, am I saying it right? Like, is that how you're s- supposed to say it? It's however your heart uh, tells you. It's D-O-O-B-O-O-L-O-O, okay? And for those who um, just hearing his name for the first time, his IG name, um, we'll start off with a brief introduction. So uh, first question, um, just a D, please uh, briefly introduce yourself, where you are from, grew up, career background, and how you got into watches. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Korea. Uh, born in Korea and uh, uh, spent uh, about, I guess, uh, 10 or so years uh, of my earlier part of my life in Korea. And then our family, um, we moved to uh, Beijing in 1992. Uh, You know, my dad was um, uh, sent uh, from his sort of a company to the branch uh, over in Beijing to sort of kickstart the operations and shortly after the sort of trade barriers had been lifted between you know, China and many of the other sort of neighboring countries. Um, so we're kind of sort of er- one of the early ones, early sort of group of foreigners to sort of go in there and, um, and experience uh, sort of the, you know, the growth of China uh, from the early nineties onto sort of what it is now. Um, I remember uh, 
you know, the first few years, I mean, there were still donkey carts running around in the large streets of Beijing, and many of the streets didn't even have street lamps. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, it was, there weren't that many tall buildings. It was, uh, it was very different. You know, I remember going on the weekends to, to shop for, uh, you know, groceries, and I'd be, you know, mud, mud-lined, uh, you know, streets with, you know, mm-hmm. wooden shacks, you know, selling vegetables and, and other produce. And it was, uh, it was a very different time, obviously. Uh, back in the early 90s. But uh, I mean, I mean, wow, I mean, just to be able to have witnessed that growth um, has been, I think, uh, a, a huge honor for me to, to have seen that sort of, you know, partly in person. But anyway, so I spent sort of the second half of my childhood in, in, in China and, in, you in know, split 50-50 between Beijing and Guangzhou. Uh, and then I came to the U.S. for college and ended up uh, staying here uh, since then. Uh, had my, landed my first job in New York City um, in finance, and, um, and uh, you know, I'm still doing what I started doing back then, uh, about, um, what is it now, like 16 years ago? Mm-hmm. And, and how did you get into watches? You know, um, so that's an interesting question. I, I, um, it, was a, it was a bit of a frightening thing for me. Uh, I, uh, um, I'll just go back to sort of my educational background, I guess, I think is a kind of a relevant place to start. And I, I actually started uh, as a mechanical engineer and engineering has always been sort of at the, at the heart of uh, how I think and, you know, and, you know, sort of surround myself with the things I love and so forth. So, uh, but, you know, life has a way of sort of finding its own way and ended up in finance and uh, whatnot. So I've always been interested in sort of these micro mechanical objects for a long time, but, you know, I, I didn't have the money. Um, my, it, I didn't come from a background where, you know, uh, sort of these luxury goods were a part of life, uh, so to say. And, um, so I was really afraid, I'll be honest, um, for, for a long time, uh, even when, even when my sort of, um, pay started getting to a point where I could pay off my student loans and, and start finally looking at, you know, uh, sort of some things that I thought would be, you know, were sort of out of reach in terms of, uh, um, affordability, um, you know, for, for many years, I just, I, I consciously sort of stayed away from it. Think, you know, I kind of treated them like drugs, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, um, you know, like, like how like a naive teenager would look at like cocaine and sort of like, oh, you know, that's scary. You know, that's scary stuff. I got to stay away. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty good, but you know, I got to stay away. Right. So, um, and then one day I just, uh, I kind of broke down. I, I said, I, 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 it's, I'm just too curious. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. So, um, I went into a boutique and uh, bought a watch and, uh, you know, the rest is history, right? Once you sort of break that first, you're only version once, right? Um, and uh, so once you sort of break that first barrier, uh, it's it. But I, I feel like it was very natural for me, you know, just, you know, always having had that mechanical sort of um, engineering mindset, uh, understanding watches and sort of appreciating watches from from the inside out, sort of, it just sort of became very natural to me. Um, and having the community like around Purist Pro, you know, and so forth, and later sort of finding Instagram and and the local collector community here in New York, it's been it's been really wonderful mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah, Daniel. Oh, I have a question straight off, which is um, interesting. You, know, you spent time in Korea, then China, and now in the U.S. Right? Which actual culture do you resonate with the most, and wh- where do you feel most comfortable? That's my first question. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, my wife is Korean. She's uh, uh, we're both uh, fresh off the. Uh, sorry, Apple isn't really. <laughs> oh, that's it's cooked up to be. My uh, AirPod just fell out. But, uh, 
So my wife is a Korean and we're both um, reasonably fresh off the boats. Um, so, uh, you know, culturally speaking, I think the baseline is still very much Korean. We speak Korean at home. Uh, we're teaching our kids Korean uh, before we teach them English. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, from a, from a cultural perspective, there's a very, uh, I mean, look, I mean, there are elements of Chinese culture that resonate very strongly within me, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, not to mention food. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, you know, the, the culinary aspect. I mean, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like at least 60%, you know, um, especially having, you know, after having spent time in, uh, in Guangzhou, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a game changer. So, uh, well, you think you're the culinary aspect, you're 60% Chinese. No, I'm just saying my, you know, I just, uh, I, I, that, that I wouldn't, you know, I, I think that's not a bad, um, cause here's the thing. I mean, you, you have to understand Korea is a tiny little country that, that, that has, throughout its history, right? It's never really experienced the levels of prosperity or grandness uh, as, as China has in the past. And, and I, I mean this not in a bad sense, not in a negative sense towards Korea at all. I, I just mean in, in that, you know, just, you know, naturally speaking, it, it's always been, you know, sort of a, a smaller neighbor to, to China, right? So um, natural resources are limited. That, that's the big thing. So Korean cuisine, Korean culture, we have to make do with fewer things that were available to us. Yes, we had the, you know, the three sides surrounded by oceans and, and, you know, seafood, you know, it was plentiful and so forth, but, you know, in, in, on land, so like a lot of the, a lot of the Korean cuisines are sort of derivatives of like the same types of materials just cooked different ways, so to say, right? Mm. Whereas in China, you've got, you've got this giant landmass of, you know, like this, it, it, like an East Asian melting pot of different cultures and different regions coming together with different sort of, and there's so, and, and, and and it's the, the, the varying degrees of raw materials that are available for, for, the, for the sort of the palettes of Chinese cuisine is just, it's just, it's, you can't compare, right? So it's just a different level, I think. Um, once again, I'm not making a, it, it, like what's better or worse sort of a comparison, mm. but it's just very different, right? Mm. It, it, Korean cuisine is very much of a, of a vertical depth, I would say. Whereas mm. uh, there's a lot of horizontal breadth in, in, in Chinese mm. cuisine. And I think that's fascinating. Cause like a lot of the, a lot of the really, really amazing Chinese foods are, you know, you, you, you present the, the raw, you present the ingredient in, in, in a minimally altered manner. Right. Uh, like, you know, fish, for example. And I think um, you don't, you don't really have that in, in Korea, I think. Mm. Um, I love soy marinated crab. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I, have, I have a second question leading on from that as well um i was hoping like you could shed some light on just what korean the differences between like that culture there are similarities between korean parents and and chinese parents because you know a lot of people will say like chinese tiger mums right but you know when i when my you know when i was at school you know the koreans were pretty at the top of like, let's say maths and stuff, right? And it was pretty well known like in the Asian community that even amongst Orientals, the Koreans are like so militant on pushing their kids uh, right to the top. You know, their, their schedules are crazy, you know, really strict more so than, I, I would actually say, you know, my impression was that it was Korean and then Japanese and then Chinese and then Hong Kong, <laughs> Hong Kongers, but mm. you know, where, where's that mindset come from? You know, I think it's a, it's a very uh, post-war mentality combined with sort of, 
you know, once again, kind of alluding to, you know, going back to what I talked about in terms of cuisines, I mean, Korea always having sort of been surrounded by other stronger nations throughout most of its history. There's a lot of, and we call this Han in Korean culture. Um, and um, I, I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head what it translates to in English uh, directly, but it's a, it's a lot of like, um, you know, feelings of like, um, like resentment, loathing, you know, like there's a lot of like this anger that's built in because, you know, we, we went through so much of oppression and, you know, even recently throughout the war, it's been, you know, the Korea was devastated and people had to build up from scratch. Right. So people say Korea was rebuilt. Modern Korea was rebuilt on Soju because th that was the only thing that men, when they went out to rebuild what was essentially ruins and rubbles, that was the only thing that could comfort them at night uh, when they you know, returned home. And, um, I think there's a there's an element of that. They're like people are so sick and tired of of losing and getting beat down that it you know it, there's there's almost like it's almost baked into our DNA. I feel in many ways, um, and mm -hmm. and there might be an element of that. I mean, if you if over so many generations and so many centuries, right? If an entire sort of group of you know homogenous peoples have been sort of you know been essentially have there's, there's a bit of that survival bias, right? Uh, you know, people who are able to survive through these sort of oppression and wars and whatnot are, I mean, there, you know, there may be something, I mean, there might be something there, I don't know. I'm, I'm making very broad assumptions and broad strokes. And, you know, obviously uh, uh, these are just, um, you know, just very general theories out there. But uh, I think um, I think definitely there is a bit of that. And you see that changing, right? I mean, because this, this current generation, I think our generation included, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen... Korean ruins. We haven't seen like mm. people getting massacred. You know, we haven't seen that with our own. We've heard about it. We've read about it, right? We've read about. We've all mm. read about these painful, you know, part, parts of history. But we, you know, most of us and our our sort of the next generation have mostly seen you know the general affluence, right, and optimism, positivity. So I think there's a big shift in sort of how sort of people um, sort of perceive themselves and how they want to sort of. I guess, um, pass it along to the next generation. And um, I think it's less, now it's less of like, you know, success at all costs, I think, which was sort of the mindset of the previous generations to pull them out of poverty, right? And, and you know, whatever it takes, even if it means that the children are going to hate me as long as they succeed and do well and, you know, and pull themselves out of, out of poverty, I've done my job. If that was the previous generation's mindset, I think now it's a lot more sort of, I guess, aligned with many of the other nations that, uh sort of war in the stage like you know i would think that um you know you know uh, you know uh, once again I'm, you know perhaps um you could sort of then you could sort of uh bring in some of your experience from as a you know uh as a hong kong you know uh native um sort of you know perhaps because hong kong has always been sort of the bright spot in asia right for 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 a long oh, time I don't know. um i mean I, I actually... anyway I actually thought Hong Kong, you know, copied Japanese, the Japanese model, you know, they copied that, they, you know, they, Hong Kongers, I, I think they really embrace Japanese culture generally, right? And they try and adopt a lot of, not necessarily a lot other main, like, like China culture or Korean culture, you know, back when I was a kid. Um, but it sounds like um, what you're saying is that the generations in Korea were a lot closer to severe poverty. Um, as you, you know, because you're talking about like as the generations 
you know, as you get more generations, you get further away from severe poverty, poverty, and more affluent, you also lose that, maybe um, that fighting, like, uh, you know, spirit. Yeah, they're, they're, you don't need to. Like, they're, they're, nobody, nobody really needs to work that hard to have a decent life. Yeah, anymore. exactly. Just, yeah. You, know, you have you have better social yeah. safety, and everybody's just yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Culture where, as as a you know as a social group, it you know it's just uh, everybody's just better off, right? And mm. and I think I think civilizations go through these cycles, right? Um, at some yeah. point, you can reach a point where everybody's so you know yeah it's such it's so well built up that you know it, you kind of hit a peak and then sort of it starts deteriorating from there right and we, we've seen that over and over in, in you know throughout history i feel but um not that not that that's imminent anytime soon but uh, i mean people just get you know other priorities right it's just not about material success well, the anymore. mindset changes because because you already have the country's already developed so the focus on developing the country having the bare essentials well it can't be the focus anymore because you have it right yeah. so yep. you have to keep progressing and that's how you become a more developed country, you know? And, you know, it's interesting, you know, it kind of links back to watch collecting in many ways. And, and, um, and uh, Jacqueline and I discussed this in our last call. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, maybe one of the reasons why I'm so excited about watches is because I never had this chance before in sort of my, you know, life until, mm. right? So I've been sort of in this impoverished, uh, state uh, when it comes to sort of collecting, uh, whereas if I, you know, I, I, you know, once again, this is all just speculation. But if I was born into a, a family and a culture where you know, sort of, you know, collecting of watches and other, you know, arts and whatnot was a bit more of a common occurrence, uh, maybe it wouldn't be so special to me, you know, because it was just mm-hmm. always around, and I would have other priorities that would excite me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's 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 just, I you know once again I think everything is relative, and uh, it's yeah it's an interesting point. Mm. I have a quick qu- a follow up question. Um, you know, while we're on the topic of identity and and background, I was just curious: Do you see any patterns around the Asian collectors community um, while you were going through your your collecting journey? Because um, from from my like near understanding there are some communities online that again i haven't really met many people but i was just curious have you do you belong to any smaller like groups of communities like that or do you think it's just like a big um salad bowl like a lot of different ethnicities and backgrounds um i think it's i mean it's it's certainly a bit of a salad bowl but um uh, what i have noticed I think. And once again, my, you know, there are so many more seasoned collectors out there that have been collecting for far longer than I could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm only drawing from sort of my contemporary, you know, contemporary history of, of, you know, the past say 10 years, right. Of, of collecting. Um, uh, I think uh, one, if, if I've seen a bit of a change, I think that, I think let's say about up to about, five years, seven years ago, maybe, perhaps. Um, I think Asia, uh, I mean, a- Asian collectors have always been sort of a force in in, in, in the watch world, right? And I think, um, and one way the, the Asian collector community, uh, and a lot coming from Singapore and, and Japan with some from Hong Kong, I think they were, they were the sort of the first to really embrace um, avant-garde, um, 
sort of horology, I mean, you know, sort of exemplified by the likes of MBNF, I think they were sort of the first to sort of soak it in and really embrace it and, and drive, you know, and once again, as much as I don't like talking about market values, I mean, you know, those were some, some of the local peaks in, in some of the valuations driven by Asian demand uh, for many of these MBNF pieces, for example, right? Mm. Um, and uh, I think uh, if you look at, if you listen to the stories of many of these independent and sort of, you know, especially some of these uh, avant-garde independents, um, you know, Asia was always sort of that very, very important market, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, mm-hmm. uh, especially. I mean, Korea is really up and coming, I feel. But, you know, the, the other three sort of regions were, were certainly big players in that market. And, and, uh, and we've sort of seen that tail off a little bit, right, uh, of late, I feel. Um, but, uh, and, but now we're certainly seeing um, a huge sort of resurgence of, of demand from the young Asian collectors. Um, uh, you, know, you know, large sort of, uh, I think, portion coming from mainland China, but Hong Kong, you know, Tokyo, and even Korea is now joining the fray as well. But um, it seems to me there's this new wave of collectors. That's, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think all of us are kind of part of it too, right? One could argue we're not, we're reasonably young <laughs> still. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, but uh, I mean, certainly, I mean, but we're talking like, I mean, you know, I mean, we're seeing, you know, some, uh, you know, certain new wealth in, you know, you know, the teenagers sort of, you know, the early 20s sort of uh, come into the market. And I, you know, I think uh, I've had conversations where, it's a real force to be reckoned with. And it's a, the, the priorities are slightly different, obviously, there. Um, I'm not going to make a judgment call as to sort of, you know, any one priority in watch collecting is more important than the other, because that's, that's, that's a silly thing to discuss, because we're talking about watch collecting. None of this is, any, you know, essential to human life, right? Um, this, at the end of the day, we're, we're just all talking about little trinkets on the wrist, you know, that, mm. that happen to tell time and, you know, not, as, not any better than, you know, like an iPhone, right? Or any other quartz watch for that matter. So, you know, just... Not to take ourselves too seriously, but um, you know it's interesting. But um, but certainly, um, but the fact that they are able to drive this hype, um, I think, says a lot. Um, and in conjunction with sort of you know this all this NFT movement that's happening, you know, like um, and it's 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 see, it feels very seamless that whole community of young collectors, the way they mobilize, uh, the the way they disseminate information, sort of the the way they sort of um, gathered together online and, you know, uh, 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 you know, so, sort of through these platforms, it's, it's really fascinating to see. Um, so it's, it's a bit of, it feels like a bit of a change of guards, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, um, but certainly there's a, there's a new sort of, a, it seems to me that there's a new force uh, in town mm-hmm. uh, comprised of these young Asian collectors. Mm-hmm. So you brought it up briefly, and it's actually like a question later on I wanted to ask, but since we're on this topic, how do you make sense of the current market? Uh, or do you think it's, it doesn't make sense? Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting question, right? Um, you know, the market's the market, you know, that's, um, you know, I think uh, one thing, I, you know, as, as, a, as a person that has to live in the financial markets, you know, day in and day out, um, one thing that the rule number one is you always have to respect the market, right? The market's always bigger than you, right? Regardless of what I think about the market, wh- whether I like it or not, 
you know, that's the market, you know, unfortunately, if, you know, you know, if pieces exchange hands at this price repeatedly, I mean, I, who am I to argue that's not, the, that's, a, that's the wrong price, right? That is the right price. That is absolutely the right price. And clearly there, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's driven by money laundering, like that's, that's irrelevant. The fact that, you know, a, a market has taken hold and, and that's where pieces regularly ch exchange hands. And, you know, that's, you know, that enough said, right? That we got to respect that. Um, I, do I like it? No, not one bit. I think it's 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 brought about you know a number of interesting sort of uh, side effects that make collecting less fun than before, but that's a very personal opinion of mine. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's you know got to respect the market. That's what it is. But what I do know is that um, there is a large consti constituency out there who see this new wave of collectors coming in. Um, in other words, the collector base is not a steady state, right? So there's a huge uh, constituency that are convinced of of this market being, you know, being the new normal, so mm. to say, and it's here to stay. Um, I'd like to cautiously think that there could be a shift in sort of uh, sentiments or tastes, and um, a shift in sort of a um, you know you know, one hot thing to the next and so forth. And I, I think those changes will happen over the next few years. Mm. Um, and we've all seen it, you know, even in recent history with, you know, sort of, for example, Daytona's and the Paul Newman's and so forth. Mm. Um, what looked like an invincible sector um, clearly turned out to be more transient than, you know, I think many of the experts had uh, given it credit for. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, we'll see, you know, I think uh, what I can certainly say is that when I have conversations with other collectors, um, there's a there's certainly a bit of fatigue setting in, right? Um, and I think people are looking for sort of that feeling that they got, at least for those who sort of got in early enough to ever had that opportunity to have that feeling, of course, that you know that feeling that they're they're sort of you know this collecting this 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 watch that they buy is sort of defining, helping define their character, for example, right? Um, what does it mean to buy a hype watch? Like, does that really help you define one's character? Does it really help you to sort of continue to cultivate your, your character as you, as you wish, right? Uh, and what does it accomplish in, in, in your collection as sort of, you know, part of your story? I mean, does, you know, is it just a, is it just a financial asset? I mean, you call up people and, and many of the dealers are now talking like watches are a legitimate financial sort of asset class. And, you know, I mean, maybe that's what it's become. Maybe it's just become an asset class and that's it. Right. But, um, but it's certainly interesting because, because what, you know, what appears to be uh, a more significant herd mentality is sort of looming over this market and many of the, you know, uh, collectors out there, I think it opens up a lot of very, very interesting doors. Uh, if you just dig a little bit deeper, right. Many of the sectors are just completely ignored. Uh, you look at auctions and sometimes like stuff that are you know, very interesting, just nobody even bids on because, you know, there are some other lots, you know, you know, mm. two, three lots, you know, before and after that are far more interesting and people just, just people are just not paying attention, right? Uh, even dealers who usually would take shots on some of the interesting pieces that, you know, at, at these prices just um, seem to be blinded by, you know, what they can sort of move and make money on. So, um, um, which I think, I, you know, look, it's, it's just a different type of fun. I would argue, actually, because of this market and because of all the hype that's surrounding the market, it's actually become more satisfying to find something that is that is not uh, 
to use a very uh, strange term, infected with the hype, right? Um, <laughs> it's harder to do so. There, therefore, it's more satisfying when you find something that, that fits that category. I mean, of course, it has to, it can't just be anything that just falls outside the hype, right? Most hype pieces tend to be hyped up because they're good, right? They have some fundamental yeah. value to them, right? That's why they're hyped in the first place. It's not like any, you know, it's just hype because they're, you know, just for no reason. So obviously, you know, uh, some of the obvious values are, you know, obvious pieces with obvious, you know, positive redeeming values are sort of taken out of the market. But, uh, but still, you know, it's, um, you realize, you know, wristwatches have been around for well over a century, right? And uh, there's, a, there's a lot to choose from, turns out. And um, uh, so I'm sort of in a phase where I'm really rediscovering uh, many of the vintage landscapes uh, and finding that there's, there's a lot of fun to be had still. Mm. And, you know, there were times when vintage, were, vintage was king, right? I mean, this now we're talking about, you know, Nautilai and, you know, and, and the Royal Oaks and, you know, all these, you know, modern independents. And, you know, those are sort of the driving, you know, forces in, the, in hype. But this wasn't always the case. So maybe we're seeing some of this sort of cyclical thing coming back where, who knows, you know, I mean, maybe people will sort of go nuts over pocket watches as soon as some celebrities start, you know, rocking them, you know, in a fashionable way. Who knows, right? Mm. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's, that's waiting a for long, long to do that. Yeah, waiting for long, long to do that. To, to yeah, get that's pocket right. watch. Exactly right. What you need to do is we need to hedge like the market and actually stock up before she does that. Right. As soon as she posts it with a leg shot or something, it's done. That market's done. Like, then we can offload. All right. Speaking of pocket watches, um, this is not a question. I just wanted to bring 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 it up. You recently acquired, or is it a recent acquisition, the Breguet pocket watch? Yes. Uh, that yes, was restored that was by a, Michelle Parmigiani. It's yeah. absolutely it's absolutely gorgeous. And um, I think you posted like again. I'm 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 like stalking you as per what Daniel said. But like the the well, I think you posted like once. And it was kind of, you know, you're trying out this like new monochrome thing. It's like half hidden with the black light. Would be cool to finally see it, you know, in in broad light and see the dial and the guilloche. So we're just waiting for that that post. You know, that that pocket watch experience has been so wonderful. Um, it's insane. It's I mean, the watch is insane. I mean, that, that that's that's I, I, you know, I agree and thank you. And I think the watch is has a lot of merit by itself, but. You know, it, I've been talking about this watch with my collector friends for a long time. You know, the series of these, you know, you know, Parmigiani um, uh, designed and created Breguet uh, pocket watches. Um, and I got close to purchasing, you know, several times, you know, some of the variants in the series. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've been talking, talking, talking. And once again, this is, you got you to you think this is over probably the past, like, four to five years worth of a time frame, right? We're not talking like, you know, three months ago, right? Mm. Um, and, um, and you know, this this piece comes up that I've never seen before. I've never seen the world timer version before. Only once again, goes to show how uh, of a novice I am and an amateur of a collector I am compared to sort of many of these seasoned uh, great collectors that have, you know, seen the, seen the market for decades of, of, of existence uh, and have this, you know, in encyclopedia knowledge of, 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 you know, what has transpired. Um, so I, you know, the day I post that watch, I am connected, you know, once again, people th that I've never spoken to on, 
on Instagram um, with, with people who, you know, that once again, like offered up, uh, you know, unsolicited all this treasure trove of knowledge of, of, of the history of these pieces. And I'm pointed to specific auctions from, you know, they're not even in the search database. You could, if you go to like Christie and Sotheby's, you can't even search for these things because they're, 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 they're too old, right? Um, but the websites are still there and like, you know, like Google searches won't, won't reveal them, but you know, you just got to know where to find it. Right. So which date, you know, which, which, you know, uh, what Geneva, like, you know, you know, you know, this month, you know, this auction in Geneva and so forth in Hong Kong. And if you know, you can find it, but otherwise it's impossible to search for and, and, and voila. Um, and, you know, so like the fact that the watches, the watch sort of links together, um, sort of brings together sort of the previous five years of, 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 of this search for the right piece with many of the collectors. And sort of afterwards, it connected me with new people, right? And sort of new pieces of information that followed. And now the watch stands on its own, but the, so what, what happened, sort of everything else that surrounded the watch, both before and after, and sort of all this knowledge accumulated before and after, I think that's essentially what I think is so cool about this watch. Um, mm. And once again, it kind of brings home the point that it's really m all about the people mm. um, that that are you know the amazing people that are in this sort of in this hobby together, and um, uh, I think yeah, it's just one of those beautiful moments where, um, mm. yeah, sure. yeah, I just really concur with what you're saying because like you mentioned about height pieces, you mentioned the fatigue around those height pieces, and the fact that when you got this piece it opened up a new channel of what probably a, a well-respected collector that to have access to that, to have the validation from them is actually maybe more stimulating than the other stuff that is on the, the market. So a lot of maybe, and I'm speculating here, uh, people that have been in the collecting watches for a period of time, I would say 10 years is pretty lengthy, are now looking for pieces that are actually not known, you know, aesthetically beautiful, um, great condition, but are not known just to keep differentiating themselves out from a particular herd mentality that follows um, hype pieces. And that, that might be even why um, the interest in independent brands is so high as well, because obviously you've, you've got the herd mentality, which is then segmenting off to independence, which then further segments off to to very um, unknown vintage pieces and references. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what, since you brought up independence, I, again, it's not, I'm kissing your ass here, but I mean, it is true. <laughs> you just need to go and, and scroll through your account, right? Yeah. You really were like kind of, I mean, amongst other collectors, I think you were being very humble there. Um, even though you've been collecting for, only a decade as compared to you know other people maybe like 20 30 40 years but you got into independence like right from the start if would you say um and like i mean again stalker mode you've and we talked about this you've single-handed like owned probably some of the most important fp drawings out there and you've owned a defour um Grunenfeld, Roger Smith, all the Kari's, the first observatoire, right? Like what was it like and what attracted to, uh, you to these independents back then 
when it was still kind of like a niche um, following as compared to now when it's kind of like blown out of proportions? Um, I'd like to make a correction first. I, 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 I said a decade, that was a very rounded number. It's just, I don't want people listening to this, you know, podcast down the line to think that I've actually been collecting for 10 years. No, it's actually a little shorter than that. So, okay. <laughs> just, you know, just, you know, I don't want to be, you know, out there. So you're even more amazing is what you're saying. Yeah. It's a shorter amount of time. Okay. We got it. No, I just, you know, that's I, far from it, but, uh, um, but, uh, you know, you know, I'll tell you a crazy story. Um, I, I really wanted to buy more watches, right? So the first watch I bought was a Panerai because I was walking down the street with my wife and literally we're just like bored and I'm just, you know, we just happened to be passing by the Panerai boutique on Fifth Avenue or was it Madison at the time? And uh, uh, yeah, Madison Avenue, right? And I'm like, let's just go in and check something out. And uh, they had the 42 millimeter titanium radio mirror. And I was like, I've always been fascinated by the, the Panerai sort of aesthetic. And I was like, well, this is not so crazy, right? It's small. And I'm like, okay, well, um, yeah, I'll just buy it. I just literally just spent like half an hour in the boutique and left with it because I felt like I had to start somewhere. I didn't know anything at the time. And all I knew was that I happened to sort of know Panerai and like their aesthetic and, you know, got drawn to it. And so I ended up buying it. I couldn't sleep for like five days, five nights. I I, I felt so guilty. I, I, this, 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 I had this, you know, block of weight on my chest every time I went to bed I was sweating bullets like literally I'd wake up in a pool of sweat not having had any good sleep because I was just having are quite big, about... though. yeah huh? they can they can put that pressure on your chest they are quite I mean big it's big crazy big, so. I mean I was, I've never spent that kind of money I've never spent like what was it like seven thousand six thousand dollars on a watch I mean I've never spent that kind of money ever on myself on anything it felt so guilty. I was, it was crazy. And then of course I started to enjoy that feeling a little bit, uh, um, you know, after, after the week. indirectly, I've never spent all this much money on myself. I was, like, I was like, so this is what it feels like. Right. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, I guess that's what drugs are like at first, at the first time you try to hit you hard and then start to sort of uh, grow on you, you know, I, I, anyway. Um, uh, so I'm like thinking, you know, Oh, that's cool. You know? So I, I finally got over that first sort of, uh, in losing my virginity moment and then you uh, went crazy first, like, <laughs> proper watch right and i'm like now i'm like starting to look i'm like okay well i'm i'm you know i'm no longer a state so let's let's see what else what what other what what else what other damage i can go around you know uh, uh, you know and and uh so uh, um I, literally this is the thought process I, I see a guy at a cafe you know i'm hanging out with my wife and i see this dude with a, a rose gold watch with a black down looks stunning right i'm like i don't know what that watch is but that looks really good so i'm like trying to look for a watch and i'm like well it, so what 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 shops are there and i gonna google my you know do a google maps and it turns out there's this place called fp journal around my place uh i'm like that's interesting <laughs> so let's go check it out <laughs> of course i do some google searches and I, I really like their watches like their whole aesthetic is like crazy it's like it seems like super niche you know it seems like uh, there's a there's a group of like crazy people you know who, who collect these watches and I just loved how they look and sort of the sort of the uniqueness of the mechanism and so forth so I walk in uh, see a see a black dial you know the boutique edition rose gold centigraph uh, on the shelf and this is of course many years before things started disappearing from shelves you could just literally walk in try <laughs> it and buy it right yeah. so I walk in and uh, I'm like oh this is really nice right and uh, and because I'm such a newbie, 
I don't know how like watch negotiation works. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I, I've never done that before. I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'm like, I go walk in, I, you know, and then I, I walk, you know, I, I'm like, I really like this. I'm going to think about it. Right. And I come back and I send, you know, we exchange a couple of emails back and forth and I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Right. So yeah, that's, that's how I got into FB Jorn. And, um, you know, I mean, since then I just got really hooked. Um, what really got me hooked uh, on the brand was uh, one day I was I was playing around with the stenograph and anybody who's played around with the stenograph will know it's it's an unusual watch, right? It's not it's got a lot of quirks and one of the quirks is sort of how you know the pushes work when you try to reset the watch. They, they, it's got a little bit of a step to it when you try to reset. It, it first resets one hand and then when you sort of do a full uh, full press, it goes the, the both all the hands sort of reset and. You know, wasn't sure if that was normal. I wasn't sure if this is kind of defect with the watch. So I, I, I stopped. But once again, I, I lived a few blocks away. Oh, yeah, long. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no no. Finish your story first. So I, I walk. So yeah, thanks. I, uh, I, I walk by after work. Um, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I, I had a question about about this watch. You know, that I bought like a few weeks ago. You know, I, you know, and they're like, oh, you, you want, if you just want to hang around for like 15 more minutes, FP's gonna be here. I'm like, what? <laughs> what, what do you, what do you, what, what do you mean? <laughs> so I'm like hanging out and uh Francois Paul shows up and I'm like I'm my jaws like on the floor I'm like what it's like a celebrity sighting right mm. and the, the dude just you know sits with me and he sort of you know in his sort of uh, broken English sort of tries to explain what's going on and you know he plays around with it and t- tells me about the, all the clutch mechanism and this is perfectly normal and this is fine that's how it's designed and so forth and and uh then and a bunch of other collectors show up and we end up just going to dinner together Wow. Um, and uh, and I invited my wife and, you know, I went back home, got properly dressed and, you know, came back and uh, it was a bit of a scramble. But it, that left a big impression on me. It was like, wow, this dude that that runs this brand is a real person. And he, you know, this, you know, I'm I've never seen him before. He doesn't know me, but he literally just walked into the boutique because he was scheduled for this dinner and, and decided to sit down with me and explain this watch to me. And. And we had a great time together over dinner. And, and I made a lot of great friends then, um, you know, friends that I would consider uh, at that dinner, uh, you know, the people I met then were, you know, are still sort of one of my closest sort of watch buddies here in New York City. Um, and um, generally speaking, the FB Jordan crew tends to be that way, I feel. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just felt really um, blown away. I mean, you don't see any other watch brand where the dude with the name on the watch just, you know, shows up and says hello and, you know, tells me about sort of his creation, right? That just doesn't happen. And that really left a big impression on me. And, you know, sort of that's when I started to sort of dig deeper into uh, Jorn's. I'm going to say one thing before Lung cuts yeah, in. Yeah. Well, he explained to you uh, in English, right? About the watch, like in broken English, but there's a myth, right? Like you hear about it all the time. He actually is fluent. You just Yeah, I've, I've heard. I've and, heard. And he just... I, he doesn't understand English and only speaks French. It, it, I I happen to not, you know, once again, you know, I blame this on my Asianness. Um, I I need I need to be able to take in a lot more alcohol for me to get to that stage out of him. It seems like, mm. yeah, mm. where he where he pulls out his fluent English. Yeah, but I I have heard that as well. That he's yeah, yeah, indeed yeah, yeah, yeah. perfectly fluent. Then he's just he just, it's yeah. all a show. Yeah, yeah, long. Um, I wanted to ask um, from the Panerai at that price range under 10K, and then you suddenly jump to like Centigraph, so over 10K. 
before you walked into the FP Journal Boutique, did you Google, like one, Google the prices? And two, did you set a budget before going in? I did actually. So I, I, I knew exactly how much it cost um, or the range of sort of prices. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, that was sort of, you know, I was like, you know, that was, you know, yeah, so that was my budget. And um, I didn't really have a watch budget, so to say. I mean, there were many years where, you know, once again, you know, you have to understand that, uh, you know, I, you know, financially, I've always sort of never, you know, been in a situation where I could really spend and, you know, keep spending without, you know, limits, right? So, I mean, there were years when I first started collecting FP journals, I, I literally, I would run out of money at the, at, by like, by October, because I just like went nutty, nuts with like spending too much money on watches. And I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> I got to sell some stuff to like, uh, like, noodles. like, like yeah. pay rent. <laughs> like, like my wife didn't know about it, but you know, I was looking oh, at right? I was like, uh, this is not comfortable at all. <laughs> like, I remember like, uh, I missed one, one year I miscalculated my bonus timing and literally for a month I was like, I couldn't go to sleep because I knew like this was like, I'm cutting way too close. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you know, it's, um, I, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, when you say budget, it, you know, yes, I, I, I had the illusion of a budget, but sometimes it went a little overboard. Mm-hmm. My limited finances at the time and, you know, still, you know, I'm not, you know, it's, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like if the Panerai took you a week <laughs> to get over that heavy weight on your chest, how long did the FPJ take? You know, is that months? No, actually, I, you know, like, you know, like I said, once, once you, you know, the first time you lose your virginity, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the only time that matters, right? So it honestly, it was just didn't feel that, you know, it felt great. I mean, I loved the watch. It just, I, and I loved wearing it. I just remember, um, you know, I, uh, you know, it just, it, it, I, I, I went, you know, you know, went to bed fine, you know, like slept like a baby, you know, it was, it was every fun. time, every time you say the virginity thing, I think of literally like you waited for this perfect girl and then you lost your virginity and then suddenly your mind's awakened to girls and you're like, wow. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, it's a pretty apt, uh, <laughs> description, I and as you know, first very, apt, all, very true know, as well, I'm just saying, you know, it's just, um, um, okay, I have a quick question, which, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about FP drawings, and again, you've owned a lot of, like, really incredible modern FP drawings, right? But what was the attraction to, you also own, like, other independents, so, so, um, what is it, the, what is it about independent brands that attracts you? Is it their philosophy? Is there their, like, carefreeness, relatively speaking, um, such as, you know, Kari and, and, and others, like, what do you look for? when you you want to acquire a watch um that's a tough question because what i looked for in the past versus what i look for now are Mm. very different Mm. um and even in the past when i went through these phases of independence i would say that um at first when i started collecting fp journs uh and was heavily sort of you know only an fp journal collector i think i wanted to be like i found a niche market i want to sort of be the master of it right Mm. um and I think being a niche player had a lot of allure to me. Uh, being that guy with that oddball watch that nobody knows about, right? Other than mm-hmm. like a small select group of people that, you know, that, you know, similar, you know, you know, geeks, um, so to say. Uh, I think that part really appealed to me. I mean, in other words, I, I guess I set a really high bar for why do I 
buy stupid, you know, stupid expensive, you know, pieces of trinkets on the wrist. It can't be because, oh yeah, I want to like, you know, do a wrist flick at the, at the bar. That really could not be my reason. It had to be the farthest reason away from that, which is once again, like, you know, had to be a niche watch that nobody knew what it was, you know, for all they care. It's a, you know, $200 watch at Macy's, right? That's gold plated. Um, <laughs> but only those who know would know, right? And that was very important to me. Um, and then I started to get into movements and movement finishing. Mm. Um, and this is, uh, and, you know, and, you know, I was very fortunate sort of to be friends with the Hodinki team and, you know, ended up, you know, kind of having that opportunity to shoot and do the article for the, the HE and uh, Dufour and uh, Lauren Ferrier comparison on Hodinki. Um, and soon thereafter, I ended up with all three, uh, not, sorry, uh, with, with the Lauren Ferrier and the, and the, and the simplicity anyway, um, not the HE uh, for myself, but, um, but around that time, like movement, I, I became that uh, movement snob, so to say. Um, so that was like a huge, like hugely important factor for me. And I think getting into Kari uh, at a deeper level was sort of driven by sort of his reputation for movement finishing. Mm. Um, and then I sort of grew out of that phase uh, after sort of going through, I guess, the, the simplicity, um, you know, which is, I guess, many people consider to be sort of the Mount Everest of, of movement finishing. But once you get there, you realize it's just a mountain at the end of the day, right? It's not, you know, it's not the big picture. Um, so I started to sort of pivot away from, you know, looking at sort of movements as the holy grail and being a movement snob. And I think that, I think there was a bit of that snobbery, like, oh, if you don't know movements, like, you really don't know watches, right? I mean, yeah, and, and I realized that really was a very short, narrow-minded view of, of, of looking at the scene. And I really started to fall into sort of like, um, I guess, watches as art on the wrist, mm. uh, sculptural forms. This is about the time I bought my Opus 5. Um, so that kind of shows you sort of, you know, which direction that's going. Um, now, independence of, and as you mentioned, uh, I think, Dan, you mentioned this early, independence have become the hype, what, you know, hype sector now, right? I mean, in many ways. Um, I'm really happy for them because now, I mean, back in the day, independence would be struggling and financially, and you know, it's just uh, it wasn't it wasn't easy to to be an independent watchmaker. Many many failed. Many couldn't even like get going, get off the you know couldn't get the first series sold. Very tough. Um, you know, now you know you launch a brand and immediately you're sold out, right? Uh, it's uh, I mean, so if you ask me the question, what am I looking for? now in independence, I think it's no, it's no different than what I look for in any other watch now. I think that's the honest answer, uh, which is, I think ultimately right now I'm in this sort of a design above all phase, I would say, um, and not just something from a sculptural perspective. Uh, and, um, uh, I, I think uh, I think the independents were able to sort of um, sort of execute with the highest level, uh, with the highest sort of you know the the utmost attention to detail in terms of the the, the all you know the design elements. I think really get my attention here in the mm. market. There, there are many many great independents, but I think that really sort of uh, is it for me. Mm. Yeah, 
something you mentioned earlier, which was about like, you know, you didn't really want to have, you, you want to have the oddball watch, right? And now, you know, it's pretty hard, but is actually production number a key factor? Because, you know, production number kind of signifies really how truly rare something is per year, right? So Roger Smith, super rare. I see that, you know, you, you have one. Um, that kind of almost gives you reassurance that you're probably going to be at some, some place and you're the only one that's going to have that piece. And then my second question, which is not related, is having all this experience with the independent brands and being a movement snob at a point of your collecting journey, where would you rank the top finishing? Like with, with the independents, how would you like, let's say, for example, the top three, would you say? Oh, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a very difficult question because I think people do different things. You know, like some, some brands would do certain aspects very well. Some brands would do certain aspects very well. Um, I mean, I mean, I think there's a reason why, you know, simplicity continually ranks sort of high up there. Um, but obviously, you know, that series was not without faults, I would say. Um, I, you know, there were some issues with sort of different serial number ranges having varying degrees of finish versus some other serial number ranges. Um, and, um, but, you know, but it had some really, you know, great qualities to it. I mean, especially those wide, the broader, you know, rounded anglage with the, with the inner angles, just, you know, once again, just out there. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to do good finishing nowadays, right? I mean, the, the production processes and the precision CNC machining, uh, you cut out so much of, of the prep work before you get to that point where you can just polish out the angles and, and call it a day and, and just, you know, carve out the inner angles and say, you've got X number of inner angles. Mm. Um, so you've got a lot of, you've got a, the stand, so the, the baseline has been raised across the board. So everybody can say they've got great finishing. They've got, you know, all these inner angles and all these sort of polished bevels and, you know, nice, um, you know, uh, Geneva striping and all that jazz, but, um, uh, but they're reasonably standardized. Um, so, so like for to force work, I think still stands out among, amongst this sort of higher waterline uh, of, of what's out there. I mean, uh, uh, a recent work, um, you know, his latest, uh, you know, uh, V2, especially if you look at sort of how broad that sort of, you know, that, uh, you know, anglage is and sort of how rounded and how just well executed that is to, to the highest degree, I think, you know, they are continuing to set new sort of bars in terms of, you know, how can you take hand finishing to the next step, right? So I think I think Acrivia probably takes the top spot here, if you were to ask me in terms of sort of, because I feel like if you just do it like how people did it in the past, but do it well, I don't think that really is enough to, to, to make number one. And I think um, out of all the sort of things and pieces that I've seen, probably Acrivia sort of is, is up there in terms of, you know, wow, they, they really found another way to take hand finishing to the next level uh, sort of a thing. Um, uh, on otherwise you know like what what are we really looking for right once again um the quality of striping is interesting um you know you could have something that looks really even and smooth but 
somehow is doesn't produce an emotional response. Mm-hmm. But also you could have something that looks a little bit rough on the edges, but uh, maybe technically it's a little bit less mm-hmm. um, perfect, but it, it, it evokes such a warm feeling mm-hmm. when, when you look at it. And um, I don't know, you know, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you judge that? Right? Well, how do you rank that when one versus the other? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, when I, you know, I, for by chance, when I was in Geneva last year, I, I, I uh, ran into a winner, um, you know, who, you know, showed me his piece. And um, I mean, you know, I wasn't expecting it. It's hard to tell from press photos and whatnot, right? It's, 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 mm-hmm. especially on these micro brands where there, there is just isn't much material going around. But, uh, I mean, I was just shocked by the quality of the the, the striping. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of other great qualities of the watch too. You know, the dial, the case, you know, the the the, the angle, the balance wheel, you know, construction, and all that jazz. It, you know, there's you know, it's it's it was it's a marvelous piece. But I mean, you know, it's it's it was a long time. It, it, it's it was one of those moments where like, wow, you know, kind of you get slapped in the face. Like, wow, I, I yeah, I, I had forgotten that. You know, you could achieve such a dramatic effect from just Geneva striping if mm. it's done to such a high degree. You know, and because uh, you know, otherwise the response would be, "Oh, it's so boring. It's the, the entire movement's covered in one giant, like you know, seven eighths plate, right?" Mm. Um, and um, and it's just got striping over it, or you know, some frosted finish over it, and you know, that's kind of a boring movement. You know, people could say, but not necessarily. It was. It's. It's a really refreshing. It was rather refreshing for me to see what could have been very boring uh, turned into something very exciting just just from that sort of finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, otherwise, I mean, I mean, those two are the ones that really stand out in my mind right now as sort of the two that kind of left the mark recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I would definitely say those two brands, the way they finish actually. Um, very dramatic there's a lot of flair in that finishing while something like Akari Butelainen equally you know well finished to some degree but it's a different language almost very I different feel. language right right yeah mm-hmm. and there's that appreciation of you know uh, if we're talking about movements you know a lot of people will just go straight up and say Dufour and and, and, and Kari and like not and say ah oh, uh, sorry Dufour and Recepi and then say ah oh, Kari's kind of dropped off a bit right and they'll might put that down to, oh, you know, do you know what his production number is? You know, he's increasing production. You know, he's getting sidetracked with doing dials with Grinefeld and, and Schwartz Etienne and Urban Jugensen. You know, how much is he actually involved with it? Um, but, you know, he is actually Scandinavian and Finnish as well, right? And he has a very different interpretation of what finishing will be on his certain pieces, right? And, and that wasn't, I mean... Yeah, I think I don't think the utmost in finishing was ever his goal anyway. Um, you know, like his, I mean, maybe it's a Scandinavian pragmatism kind of coming into play, mm. but he was always very, you know, if he's experimenting, he's experimenting with chronometry, not with improving his finish. Um, I mean, no doubt, as you said, he, his pieces are finished to a very high degree, but, but in all honesty, that level of finishing is no longer considered to be unique sort of in-class sort of finishing because now everybody's doing finishing to such a high degree, right? Mm-hmm. So you're relatively speaking, it, it, it loses its edge a little bit. I mean, it used to be considered top of the line, but now it's probably like, you know, kind of middle of the pack, right? Um, but really, I mean, the, you know, the amount of effort he focuses on sort of improving the performance of his watches, making sure that they're reliable, 
over the long term, um, you know, making sure, you know, the bridges are thick and, you know, solid and uh, doesn't transmit like unnecessary vibrations or, or, or you know, um, you know, uh, portional flex of some of these, you know, pieces that are going in and, you know, mm -hmm. developing sort of new complications and so forth. I mean, he's spending a lot more time with those rather than sort of here's, I mean, what's fast, what's been fascinating with Instagram is, is all these, look, the Swiss watchmaking industry, I guess watchmaking industry in general is a, is a pretty, uh, um, is a sweatshop industry, right? I mean, there are, there are houses like Google for say and whatnot that, that, that pride in sort of doing a lot of the things in house, but even they outsource a lot of this finishing to, to external parties, right? I mean, there are, there are finishing specialist shops out there. So really what does it, what does finishing mean anyway, if it's all finished by third party, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote sweatshops, if it's not, you know, unless it's really one dude that sits down and does it from start to finish, which is very rare nowadays anyway, um, like who's finishing is it, right? Can a brand really take credit for uh, a finishing that is done by a house that happens to also finish like a dozen other highly well-finished brands, right? That, that's not- Well, the know, kind of worms you've just opened. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of warms it up. I mean, like it, but, yeah. it, but that's the truth though, you know? I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure if a lot of the collectors out there are under the impression that if you buy something from this, you know, independent brand X, that it's somehow, you know, it's just mm. only those employees in, in their workshop sort of doing things from, you know, start to end. No, no that's never. What do you mean? Thing. That's what the photos show. That's what the photos show. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but that's the truth. It's right? an old always... guy with the overalls, is it not? Like, yeah, I don't see any machines. I, I saw a furnace the other day in one of these. Right, right. They're, they're smelting the iron. Yeah, smelting. <laughs> I saw the smelting thing. Specifically for right? that I saw hammers there. Hammers that, right hammers that not right. not precision tools hammers that are, like even themselves are 100 years old right <laughs> passed down through the generations of time and you know in the mountains of switzerland and well that's yeah. the truth though i mean these are you know it's a it's it's a team effort um for lack of a better word and uh how can you rank finishing if it's once again done by once again, there are houses, let's, you know, caveat is, yes, there are still places that do this all in-house and so forth, but you know, not all independents can, they're at a stage where can do that, right? I mean, it's, uh, they have to build a brand, they have to build a product that, that is functional, operational, reliable, and, you know, they have to sell it. And, um, you know, I think that's where it stands right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanna move forward and talk about uh, your last trip to Geneva, um, where you were invited as uh, a jury member for the Grand Prix. Can you tell us a little bit how that experience was like for you? Because I know, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when we were doing the intro call, you were kind of like, uh, I'm a very private person, but then they showed like a photo of me and now I'm kind of out there, but then I think it's worth it because it was really enjoyable. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, I mean, it was a landmark experience for me because I've never been to Geneva before in my life. It was uh, it was my first trip to Geneva to, to you know, I've seen pictures, I've heard, you know, stories about Geneva and all that. And I've never done like a watch excursion you know, outside of, you know, just once again, you know, because, uh, you know, it's just work and family. It's just, it's been impossible to sort of, you know, find my own time, but, you know, getting this GPHG jury and invitation really gave me a great excuse where, 
I could convince my wife, hey, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I, I really got to do this, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to take a week off and leave the two kids behind with you. But, um, but you know, but this is, this is not about me. <laughs> it's the honor of the family and you know uh, so uh <laughs> honor of the family wow you really pushed the too. boat out there i mean you know that you know i gotta you gotta defend the honor of the family you know that's that's very important right that's uh, you can't underestimate that honor um but uh but yeah so i was able to sort of um get a very hard fought exception to to the rule and be able to sort of travel for a week um to, to watch things with watch bros and watch ladies and it was uh i mean look it was it was wonderful and and it cemented once again in me that it's all about the people um i mean the people that i've known online i finally got to meet in person and they're just just as wonderful if not more wonderful in person than they 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 were um uh, you know, virtually, I've I've reconnected with many old friends who, you know, we've met before pre-COVID in in the city when they were in New York City, and and we connected there. Um, many of my heroes, watchmaking heroes, we were able to sort of just kind of run into each other, you know, on on the streets and say hello. And I mean, just really, what an amazing place, right? For during that amazing time, the the jury experience was was fascinating because it brought you know sort of regular novice collectors like myself people from all different types of, you know, from walks of life. It, it, they were not just insiders, um, you know, industry insiders or, you know, super veterans, uh, you know, in the watchmaking world. So, it, and I think they were really making a push for that, right? They, they were really trying to turn the the jury into a, a more of an open democratic, kind of a, um, a diverse, uh, you know, set of opinions. And I think it worked. It was really fascinating. It was wonderful to see um, you know, artists, you know, people in the fashion industry, uh, you know, alongside, you know, just regular collectors mm. um, and and watchmaking executives and, and and watchmakers themselves and and so forth um, in the in the room. So, um, I mean, look, the decisions were hard, partly because there weren't that many choices to choose from. But, you know, that's, you know, unfortunately, not not anybody's fault. But, uh, yeah, once again, it's all about the people. Yeah. Long you. Yeah. Um, I wanted, uh, I want to know if you had imposter syndrome, like you felt like you weren't worthy of being there or were you like, I have to be here. <laughs> hey, it's all about the like, honor. I should be here. It's all about the honor. You know, I mean, it's not, I'm not doing it for myself. You know, what, what does it matter then? <laughs> so it's so self-sacrificial. It's also, I mean, you know, I, I <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel my the sacrifice. ego was, was, was checked in in Jersey before I left for there. <laughs> No, but I think I think that's a good question. Um, you know, it's uh, people are. I I was worried about that. I was really worried. Like, I mean, who am I? I'm just some dude. You know, lives in Jersey with two little kids, and you know, I just happen to be collecting watches. And why? Why the heck? I I actually thought the email was a spam, like some sort of a scam mail. When I first got it, I'm like, this can't be true. Like, so I started asking people around, like, did you get this email? And nobody else got it. So clearly, it's it's scam, right? I mean, that's definitely a scam. It's uh, so I didn't respond for like weeks because I thought it was I was certainly a scam. Uh, but turns out it wasn't. So um, I'm glad I responded at the end. Um, uh, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was I, before I got there, like before I went into that room, I was I was scared. I, I thought I was like, man, this is going to be so out of my league. You know, I, I, I'm going to be so um you know, like, who am I, right? Like, who am I to even yeah. say a word in this? I'm going to be shown up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, 
JC Beaver was on the jury list. He, although he didn't make it, uh, like he had the ti- the honorable title of being a collector too. I'm like, look, you have JC Beaver as a collector and this dude as another collector. I mean, like, you can't. That's not. That's not. You know, that's not the same thing. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of pressure, but I think. Um, but people are so down to earth, you know, they, they, and it's, <laughs> it, it's, it was really warm and inviting. And I think people really just, you know, I, once again, it's just wonderful people. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I would like echo that. Probably people still don't know, but like Long Long and I have never met Jack, like Jacqueline on this call, you know, and that's somebody, uh, you know, I, I really, really, really like think, you know, what you said, we have such a great chemistry online, like to meet her in real person over food would be would just be like just absolutely what the highlight of the year yeah <laughs> thank you yeah um, I love making her go red like, like she's Jack gonna be like, feel a like she's food. worthy of meeting like us <laughs> no yeah. I, no because I was I, my next follow-up question to D was like did you meet anyone that was just a total ass? Yeah, then, that's what I wanted to know too. That's what you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. There must be some douchebags. No, but like, I think you girls nice. are more likely to get that because you get dudes trying to have the extra thing to impress you as well. Like dudes and dudes is a bit different. Yeah. And we all know Europe's way more liberal on that front than, you know. Mm. Than, uh... So, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think. I mean, you don't no, have to I, answer that. But, no, I mean, the, the, the truth is, no, I'm just trying to think of an example where that was discussed. But I mean, yeah. not really. I mean, it's because you didn't meet me there. <laughs> <laughs> you already know that, Daniel. What an ass. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a, yeah, that's a good question. But um, I mean, oh, oh, well, there there were some really there was one strange incident. Um you know, we're hanging out at the at the leopard room across the, across the street uh, from the from the hotel, um, where it turns out like that's like the only place where anybody hangs out in Geneva. Turns out, as I learned, um, and there was this lurker who was sitting in one corner in the cigar room, and uh, like very very interesting shady character, but like started to like you know came up to our group and started asking questions. He was clearly like somebody who knew a lot of things, but pretended like he wasn't, and like. It was like semi, semi combative in, you know, and then he kept showing up like day after, you know, like every day, clearly he was like an insider of some sort. Cause he was like hanging out with all these other people too. But it was, um, it was weird. Like we all kind of looked at, looked at each other in the eye and we're like, this guy's like, there's something, it's some really something odd going on here with this, with this dude. But, um, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, say, but it was a, oh, say again? sounds like a mutual friend of mine. Yeah, it must've been. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, but, um, yeah, strange, strange uh, occurrence. But other than that, you know, it was, everybody was very pleasant, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also because everybody had been so deprived of human contact for mm-hmm. so long due to COVID. And this was like, everybody just felt so relieved to, you know, be able to see people. I think, I think you know, people really, even those who had the, you know, general propensity to be an ass probably you know, word <laughs> people, you know, I think that's probably, that probably had a, you know, had a role in it. Mm. Um, and okay. I have two last questions, which is, <clears throat> you know, during the pre-call 
you talked about, you mentioned something that I thought was really funny. You said you don't have a particularly good memory, but you do use watches as anchors to remember things and remember trips. So during, um, when you, when you went to the uh, Geneva, you were able to pick up a watch that you've been waiting for five years, was it? And then you did make some trips to, you know, pick up watches. What was like the most memorable one? And why do you think to you watches are those memorable like anchors? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? I, I forgot your question. So you, do you remember? I'm, you I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm making a, I'm making a self-derogatory <laughs> comment on my, on my memory. Um, that was such a watch nerd joke. <laughs> sorry, I, I had to. I, I apologize. Um, that was good. But uh, uh, but it's true. I really have horrible memory. I mean, I, I have trouble with faces, names, especially. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, I sometimes I forget entire events altogether, like without a trace of, you know, it ever having happened. And, and people are like, you were there, you wore, you had this particular, you know, you know, colored shirt on and, you know, we did this and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so uh, that's, so I do use watches as a, as a, as an anchor for a lot of my memories. And um, like, you know, mm. I take out a watch and put it on my wrist and, you know, I all of a sudden remember all the places I've been to, you know, um, you know, with that watch on, it's, it's, it's really nice. Um, like I wouldn't remember, you know, my kids being born if it wasn't for the watch I'd been wearing at the time, you know? So uh, that's a statement. I sold that watch. So that. that memory is not going to last for long. <laughs> yeah, we have to delete that whole honor part and this whole part about like, remember my kids, but it was I mean, like, what? <laughs> right. But, uh, You're not going um, on any trip. <laughs> But uh, I mean, look, I mean, I think um, I think the one that probably takes the cake for me uh, is probably the trip um, I took to pick up a watch. Um, and, uh, you know, this is my, you know, during my sort of early days when I was a deep diehard, you know, Jorn fanatic. Mm. And I really wanted a Tokyo Resonance for a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean like I, you know, I mean like six months because I've only known Jordan for like, you know, the watch for like a year. So you know, <laughs> you know, but it felt like eternity, right? I'm like, why can't I buy this? Well, why isn't this available? Like, oh, oh, yeah, obviously because there are only so many made. Um, but you know, those were the days when like crazy rare Jordans would just pop up and nobody wanted them. They'd sit on you know dealer inventory for like months before somebody would you know get a huge discount on it and you know and be forced to take it at crazy levels. You know, it's. Um, so I'm like waiting for like a Tokyo, like a titanium resonance to pop up. And, you know, I'm in a business trip in Las Vegas and, you know, big dinner. I'm stuffed. I'm like totally drunk. And I'm, it's like, I come back to the hotel. I've got a like 6 a.m. flight out the next morning. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like toast. But of course, before I go to bed, I'm checking my Corona 24 search for Jorns and voila, something had popped up in Japan. Uh, so it's like close to midnight. I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead tired. I'm half drunk and I've only got a few hours to sleep, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta call these guys up, you know, and Please I, call, do the accent. Please yeah, do the accent. I, I, you know, it's like, I call Tokyo and they're like, Wish, wishy. you know, I'm like, okay, hello. <laughs> and they're like, uh, 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 no, no, uh, they hang up. 
and, and uh, I'm like, what's going on over there? I'm, I'm sure they heard me. So I call again and, and I'm, I'm like, hello. And they're like, oh, and sort of at the end, and they, they sort of like put me on hold. And somebody that, that sort of speaks a little bit of English comes, you know, and, you know, picks up the phone and says, oh, so sorry. We, we, we know ship outside Japan and he's about to hang up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't hang up on me. Don't, 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 don't <laughs> hang up, please. Let just hear me out. Right. So I, I, I spend a good part of probably like 15, 20 minutes trying to convince them in, you know, mutually broken English at that time to let me pay for the watch sight unseen so that I could go pick it up later in, in you know, down the line. Uh, because essentially I think, I, you know, there must've been some export like complications to, to sending like a watch out, out of Japan or whether it's insurance related, I don't know what it was, but it seems like that was in retrospect, you know, that seems like that was sort of common in Japan where, you know, you buy a watch and you only have to pick it up in Japan. And ultimately they agree. So I send them my details and, you know, the next day I sort of wire the sum and, you know, and I got to figure it out. So I find like a long weekend and, you know, like a month later I, I book my flights and it literally ends up being like a weekend flight from New York to Tokyo just to go pick up the watch. Uh, Was that another I, on a trip? Huh? Was that another on a trip? Yeah, you know, trip for the. Oh, honor, that was that was no. This was before kids, so it was like you know, there oh, was less oh. honor required. Yeah, so it was. Um, yeah, I had a little bit more flex then, you know, and it was just the weekends. So it wasn't it wasn't a whole week. So. Um, Did your wife ask very, you very, how come you're flying all the way to Japan? It was also earlier in my mar- marriage, so you know, it's, um, I could I could. It sounds dodgy. I'm there. gonna fly to Japan for a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't mind me. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I, I landed at the airport with with my with my little carry on you know bag in in tow. I hit the dealer and I pick up the watch. Things go smoothly and I come back to the hotel and I crash and literally two three days I spend most of that time jet lagged and taking pictures of my lovely new watch. You know, mm-hmm. spending some quality time together in the hotel room, and I fly back <laughs> and and um, it's a. Uh, I mean, that was that was probably the first time I did something so stupid for just for a watch. Um, to, and, you know, and, and, and I will never forget the whole sort of experience, like every single step of that, that process. Like, you know, when I when I first got out, you know, the next day to explore like Ginza by myself, for example, um, you know, kind of hit all these sort of like, you know, random restaurants, um, you know, in the free time that I had before catching the next flight out um the pictures i took on the plane the picture i took at the airport with the watch you know sort of you know the whole experience of it um i mean you know it was, a, it was such a such a cool you know i mean that's mm-hmm. that's a story i can tell right to my friends about how mm-hmm. i did a weekend day trip to japan just to pick up a watch right and then i ended up doing something similar with um in madrid uh last year it was last year or the year before once again i, I my memory is very hazy i think it was last year uh, I did a quick, uh, you know, two day trip to Madrid to pick up a watch as well. And, you know, that, that, that was a lovely, lovely trip. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, those, uh, those are probably my top two, uh, sort of watch memories only because I think they were the trips themselves were initiated because of a watch. Right. Mm. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, trips with, I mean, I could, I could, you know, the list goes on. I mean, it's, it's the trips that I would not remember in such vivid detail i do because you know i'm partly because i stopped at so many points throughout the trip to take you know wrist shots really mm. <laughs> that's um you know so i have a lot of these sort of like pause save you know in, in the games right 
those moments. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very important tool for me. I bet I bet you saw Ginza in a very different light after having quality time in the bedroom with your new uh, Tokyo edition FP Jean. Yeah, right. it was. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's hard to. Um, I mean, you're right. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I, we can't go into too much detail on that front because you know this is a public, uh, you know, radio station. <laughs> but, uh, we, we can take it offline if you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I also, I really love the part where you're like, I have to equally reciprocate in broken English so that the other person understands what I'm saying. <laughs> and I, I mean, I mean Dan, is that how it works? I mean, it it does works? work. Like yes. I'm speaking to this Italian. Yeah, you're mimicking, player, yeah. And, and, and yeah. And then like, uh, I forget the exact detail, but he was like, I, I make all happy. I make you all happy. I do uh, something. I think solution all happy. I was like, yes, all happy. <laughs> It's <laughs> just like stupid things and then he's like yes yes bravo yes um <laughs> so that's uh yeah it's something that you you kind of you know have to experience once just the desperation to get something right to get that watch that you're willing to just like use three three-year-old language um dumb your entire like education level down to reciprocate for the other person to understand you i, I think it's all very Google interesting translate yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Google Translate yeah. before, where like I type it really and then and then like play wow. the voiceover to the other <laughs> like person and then, and then they speak Italian and then then do it again, like that. Whatever works, you know. If it works, it works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what were you gonna say, Dan? No, I'm just saying like for people. Like, there's always an impression or a, a perspective of how luxury watches are transacted. Right. And the, the, the reality is most of them are not like that. And it's like exactly how, uh, you know, it's a very much of an improvisation, right? Oh, Where right. you are trying to get a watch and you're just trying to find like the best means in the shortest time because you're also wary the watch can go at any oh, time as well. Right, right, right. So you're trying to lock it down as fast as, and the, the way the mind works, man, it's so productive in that, in that 20 minutes, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you just want to lock it down. You don't want to hang up. Like that hang up thing is so true. Because you just think, if I hang up, some other dude's going to call, right? <laughs> no, absolutely right, right, right. In my mind, mind, my mind's racing. You know, like I got to be the worst English speaker that's going to call them so that they can best understand me. Otherwise, they're going to, you know, go to the other guy that has a, you know, that has even worse broken English that they can understand. You know, I gotta, I gotta balance all those things out. Yeah, and what yeah. you also think like, oh man, if a dude actually Japanese dude's gonna, he's gonna, he's yeah. got way more advantage. Right? Yeah, absolutely right, right. You never, exactly he's got far right. more upside. Right. 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 Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's All like, right. What's that phrase? Uh, shut the hell up, just take my money. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> shut the hell up. Give me the account. Give, yeah. give me the money. Shut up and take my money. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, last question before we move on to the reverse around, um, which is <clears throat> your wife is also, you know, has her own account and, and, and is an enthusiast in, in some, some way. How, how did that start? How did she catch the bug? Well, she was, um, I think, um, good question. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. It, she's an artist. Um, and you know, before our training as a as a fine artist, she her 
sort of a first degree was in fashion design. Mm. Um, so I think she always had a sort of an eye for accessories and design and so forth. And, you know, I mean, you know, she was the one that wanted, you know, you know, Royal Oaks and Nautiluses even before they got hot. And when people, you know, those were like, you know, you could have, you know, buy a 5711 for like, you know, 20 grand from like mm. 10 different shops in New York City. And, you know, nobody wanted them. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? They, they, you know, those were the days. And she, you know, even then she was like, well, this design really speaks to me, not knowing anything else about watches. Mm. And she, she, you know, wanted one and, you know, uh, you know, so forth. So like she approaches it from a very design sort of centric perspective, you know, way before I sort of opened my eyes to that element of, of watches. Um, but also I think we really tried hard to find a common hobby mm. um, together. So it was, I mean, I'm really thankful for her to have sort of essentially accommodated for my craziness, right? Uh, by sort of embracing it as her own mm. um, and because uh, I don't think it was a something that really occurred naturally to her like you know it's um, but you know sort of seeing what I sort of you know the levels of craziness that I sort of got into and I think she sort of really tried hard to sort of understand and get into it herself and now she's you know she's very much into it but um, uh, so yeah I mean I, I, I'm really thankful for that because she could have just said you know you know screw you and go, you know, you go have, you know, time with your watch buddies and I'm going to stay out of it. Um, but, um, but yeah, she was, she was very supportive from the early days of like, you know, when we used to have, you know, uh, watch meets at the Jean boutiques and whatnot. And so she got to know everybody else and um, all that jazz, but uh, yeah, she, uh, she's developed her own language in terms of um, watch collecting. Um, and yeah, it's, um, I would I dare I say, you know, she was kind of ahead of, you know, the game before, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, ever since she started, really. Um, so, yeah. I think it's great. Uh, go follow her at Watchbirder. <clears throat> um, okay, so reverse around. Do you have, have you thought of the questions for us? Um, so, yeah, I... Um, I had a question. Uh, so what what is it like? Um, I guess this is directed to Lung, since you know you are a much more openly public personality out there, and recently having done the the wonderful um, series with Odinki as well. And um, how does that how does that impact slash influence you as a collector, sort of being a much more of an open personality? Mm. Mm, good question hmm. I don't think it has much effect actually and I actually didn't think the Hodinki interview had much of an impact in terms of how I just moving forward from like before the interview and after I don't think anything changed that much to be honest mm. um, I actually thought that a lot of people would reach out and then maybe change the direction of how I collected but then ultimately it still always goes back to like, this is my process. Usually I just generally meet the same people. And sometimes those people bring more collectors and we just hang out on the weekends. We smoke cigars. We look at watches. Mm -hmm. And then during those meets, usually someone wears something new. So then you say, Hey, what's that? And I take a picture, I go back and I read about it. And it kind of starts from there. If about a week or like a month later, I forget about that watch that kind of just, 
kind of like cements the fact that that watch probably isn't that special to me anyways. So then I move on to the next thing. But if that watch keeps like coming up in my mind and I keep thinking about it, then I'm like, okay, there's probably something special there. And then I'll go and like reinvestigate and then read more about it. And then I'll reach out to people that have the watch. And then I'll start to say, hey, let's meet up. And then it kind of starts from there. But generally now, like for a long time, I've been telling Dan this for, I think, close to a year now. I feel really like, um, I wouldn't say uninspired, but I have no urge to buy anything. Or I haven't seen something that moved me to the point that I'm like, okay, I have to stop everything and look for that watch and get it like right away. So I'm just waiting for that thing to hit me. Mm. This is how I feel right now anyways. Yeah. But that, that resonates with me too. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more difficult. I mean, and maybe this is the healthy, you know, steady state, right? I mean, maybe it is healthy that there's nothing that there's no laundry list of, you know, watches that you have to absolutely go and hunt down and buy at any given point. And you just wait for things to naturally come to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the idea, the inception of that idea, as well as the opportunity. So um, I think that's generally sort of a, you know, not a bad thing, but um, uh, no, thank you for the insight. That's interesting to hear that, um, you know, that's, uh, and I guess related to that question for, I guess, for you, Dan, um, um, and, and let me give you a little bit of a background as to sort of why I'm asking this question. Um, New York is a really, really uh, a weird place. Um, it's where, you know, uh, very uh, stupid rich people have, you know, you know, eight, nine figure homes in very fancy part of parts of Connecticut and, you know, so forth, um, come down to work and, you know, and they're, the, the culture of, it's a very there's a there's a there's a strange blue collar sort of humble brag culture of like you know I'm I'm stupid rich and I you know and and I you know I fly you know helicopters to my you know cottage residence you know mansion up in up in some place in Connecticut by the beach but while I'm in the office I wear my stupid plastic Casio you know and um, there's a bit of a strange like um, is that why you just posted the Casio? Uh, I mean, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to, I have to stand my, I have to, you know, prove my, you know, I have to, you know, absolutely. That's a, yeah, um, a very important part of watch collecting in New York is to make sure that you have that street cred. Um, but, uh, but it's true. Like, it's that you're relatable. Well, 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 I mean, but, you know, but it's, it's actually very strange. Like, so there's nobody at work, you know, maybe outside of one person that, I could actually talk about watches or even show my watches, you know, for example. So it's always hidden under the cuffs. Um, I, uh, other than the small group of people that I know here, which is once again, less than a dozen, I'd say in New York city, there, they just don't exist, which is weird because you think New York is like a big, like watch slash cultural center. You've got all the big boutiques here. It's like a Mecca of sorts, but, um, but I, I, it's a strange, because like what I heard is that Generally in Asia, the brotherhood, or I guess the sisterhood in, in, in the case of Yulung, or, or like vice versa, you know, mix of brotherhood, sisterhood. And, but, you know, the general, like this camaraderie is what, what I'm trying to get to, right? Mm-hmm. At work and, and, and among friends, like, there's this sort of like, you know, for lack of a better word, a healthy competition for, for, for you know, collecting and so forth, where it's, it's encouraged in many ways to sort of collect together and sort of um, sort of share together and sort of do this all together with, with the people that you spend, you know, your, your time with. And it's viewed as perfectly okay to be spending stupid amounts of money on little trinkets on wrists. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. that's 
viewed as a big no-no as like you're oh, spending you're spending two thousand dollars on a watch are you crazy yeah. right you know yeah. even though you know the dude lives in like a 10 million dollar home up there right so it's it's, yeah. it's 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 a i mean of course you know that's not always true but i've had a hard time sort of wrestling with that on my end so i, I just wanted to yeah. get your perspective on how it is like sort of living in asia and working in asia and sort of maintaining this sort of camaraderie among your you know among your co-workers friends and so forth is it a lonely journey is it a very you know collegial journey like how is it like for you um it's a very pleasurable journey um you know it's funny that you say you don't have many people because like that there are so many people that i could link up with and talk about watches that i don't want to link up with them anymore <laughs> right like mm -hmm. I just want to stick to a still a very core watch collecting is a very, you know, solo journey. And at points you do want to share it with certain people. Right. But there's sometimes where you do want to be left alone and, um, you know, whoever I meet, I, I think it's generally pretty comfortable and, and uh, accepting. Um, yeah, but I think what you're referring more to is, you know, a culture's perspective on success, right? Because Chinese people, they, they regard like someone that's done well, they, they think, how did you do it? Like, can I learn from this person? I want to get there too. But while, especially when I was in Europe, it was more like that guy's done something wrong. He's cheated the system, you know, or, or like, you know, uh, he, he did something bad. You know what I mean? You're not part of the main herd, which we are normal. We have the, like, you know, you, you definitely probably to get that money you're you're probably not very moral right um pretty much like how i think you know general public see financial people in some way that kind of same undertone but in, in asia it isn't like that it's like because you know there is that prejudgment on people in the finance industry but in in china you know people made their wealth in so many different ways yeah like well, how can you you judge and everybody's honestly trying to reach the same goal you know in chinese is if i get that money if i get to x amount i've made it i'm a success well in more developed countries as we mentioned earlier in the podcast success can mean a very a number of things but just in uh, in asia success seems very closely linked with your um basically how much money you have <laughs> there's no there's no better way of saying it so when you do have something like watch collecting, it's seen as like certain milestones within your life. Like a Rolex is certain seen as a milestone. Oh, I've got a Rolex now. And then if you keep going up, not only are you keeping going up in like financial terms, but there's also that essence of status as well, right? So the circles I'm hanging around with and they just, the, the next goal just keeps coming up. Oh, Rolex doesn't work. AP, now Patek, then independent and everything like that. And that in itself is... A journey but as you're going through the journey you're realizing especially i would say in hong kong where and increasingly actually in china where you can't just own these pieces just because you've got money you've got to know what you're talking about right so you have that side as well um so yeah i don't know if that answers your question but generally yeah i enjoy meeting people that are into watches um Maybe similar to Long Long with the current situation of the market, I'm a little bit fatigued, not of any of the pieces, but also of the, the chat about uh, watches. You know, it, when, it, when a lot of the chat inevitably becomes about the hype and money, it's actually 
like not the reason why I got into watches in the first place, right? So I prefer other conversations such as, you know, movement finishing and, and things like that. It's things that are actually tangible educational points. Market is very opinion-based, right? It's always like, are you, how do you predict the market? How do you see the market? Like all this kind of stuff. It, it's not really that tangible. And yeah, so yeah. Sorry, that sounded such a crap answer. <laughs> no, no, I, I think but I think you hit on all the right points. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, that's actually very, I think, poignant, uh, you know, perspective in terms of, a, you know, kind of going back to sort of what defines success and, you know, how people perceive it, right? And, and I think that partly is the reason why there's a, there's a healthy amount of sort of, you know, um, you know, like, encouraging each other to sort of, you know, indulge in these material, you know, excesses, so to say, right, versus here, where that's, um, even in a place like New York, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, you know, in many ways, it's discouraged. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, there's something else I want to add, just to finish off my answer. Um, and then you can ask the questions, Jacqueline, which I spoke to long, long about this, which is, you know, when you have a community, it's basically a, basically a relationship between people, right? And the relationship has to offer some kind of value, like mutual value, beneficial on two parties, right? <clears throat> if after a while, and this sounds really snobby, I meet a lot of collectors and my knowledge level on certain things in the industry or pieces is very extensive, but the, the, the opposite collector isn't necessarily at that level. Maybe it's earlier on in that journey. It's not that I'm not willing to give my time. It's I'm only willing to give an X amount of my time to that because they might get a lot of value. They might learn a lot, right? And I appreciate that's how I started, right? But I don't, I don't get a lot out of it, right? I don't, what, what do I get? Like two hours, three hours of coffee time talking about watches, about probably a conversation I've had about maybe 10 times. It, yeah. And I think in, in some respects, this is what I enjoy about this podcast. I say one thing once and then X amount of people listen to it and I don't have to read myself, right? So, but actually yeah, just, you, yeah. you, you bring up a very interesting point um, and you know, I don't want to drag this onto, you know, sort of a whole thing onto its own, but so the most of my closest watch buddies um, have that mutual respect of, in other words, we always are at the top of our game in terms of what we bring to the table. But that also results in a situation where I just like hanging out with the guy, right? And we end up, you know, two dudes, just, you know, two geeky dudes sitting at a bar or restaurant, just chatting for hours on end. But we might not be talking about, oftentimes we don't even talk about watches at all, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so like, I find it's, I found it so fascinating that um, watches are what led us together, right? And, and that's where our sort of, baseline core interests lie um but the people that i think the people sort of that i guess you're filtering for the people who are willing to sort of spend the time and energy to sort of delve like develop themselves further into the in other words to people who are not doing it for the superficial reasons i would say right maybe that's a way, better way to put it also tend to be just very interesting people where i could connect at so many different levels other than just watches like unbelievable amounts of like levels where i'm i'm mm. i'm constantly learning i'm constantly giving sort of useful sort of information and valuable insight to yes. the other party. And we're yes. always connecting with, and so I think, I think it's a, that's, that's a very interesting point uh, to be able to, you know, 
I think that that that's a very useful filter to have in that yeah. people who are able to continually sort of provide you with stimulation, right? Uh, you know, could probably, you know, you guys can probably have cross stimulation on, you know, on almost any other topic, you know, outside of watches too. Yeah. I like, like I'm obviously I'm based, I'm based in Shanghai, but I'm now in Hong Kong doing this interview. So I'm actually flying out next week, but I've spent a lot of time with uh, long, long this trip. Right. And, you know, when I say value between relationship, it doesn't necessarily have to be watch knowledge. Yeah. Right. But it's a friendship. Right. And that's a relationship in itself. And I don't think we've spoken much about watches. I mean, the point she raised about being fatigued when you know somebody that well, mm. you feel it. Do you know what I mean, like she would have felt the same way as I, like you can just feel it and see through how they're talking, right? That they're fatigued. And I think she probably felt the same with me. Like you must feel the same. But we, like you say, we talk about many, many different things. And I think, you know, uh, in the last two years, for example, I'm just going to say, you know, she's been, you know, an integral part of my own self-development, you know, and putting, putting things in my life and systems in place to make me improve. And that, that's a different type of value. Right. But it has to offer some kind of value. If you're just talking about watches and then yeah, what else do you offer? Right. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is, yep. Yep. And I think I just realized that I've had my ears stuck with these AirPods all throughout the show. And then I realized it's not even being used. So <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Uh, but the, like I said, I'm a podcast newbie. What can I say? I thought I was being all fancy with the AirPods. Turns out I was, it wasn't even turned right. on. I mean, seriously. You had the look. You had the look. I, I mean, I had the look. I, I you know, yeah, I, with the Casio. The, I was in the zone. The I was in the zone. Man. And the, I zoomed in my ears and I felt I was, I was so into it. With the Casio G Shock and your hoodie, you're definitely street. I'm, I'm, I, there you go. There you go. All I got to go is buy some NFTs yeah. and, you know, you know, paste my <laughs> Monkey Kingdom. Here we go, right? <laughs> um okay uh Jacqueline I I guess a question for you yeah um how do you feel I guess it's you know I guess uh let me try to phrase this in an eloquent way um you can do it in a non-eloquent way. Yeah, I'll understand. It's okay. I have to practice. Very aggressive and non-eloquent way. How about that? Let's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, because I mean, once again, I mean, you're you're at an age bracket that is firmly in the lower end of, I guess, the spectrum of collectors out there. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, correct me if I'm making a wrong assumption here, but I think it's reasonably on target. Um, what my age? Yeah. Right. Right. I'm actually, thirty-five. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am a middle-aged European man. <laughs> spinster. She's a spinster. Spinster. Once divorced. Oh, yeah. All the filters, divorced man. Once, it's, hard, yeah. it's really hard to uh, gauge with, you know. Um, but uh, so how do you, how do you see, like, how do you, like, so I guess, I guess I want to hear about your experience of interacting with various age brackets, right? Uh, of collectors that are out there mm. from because good question yeah from your perspective from from your age bracket right mm -mm. when you interact with people from your sort of similar age bracket with maybe people from like 30s to 40s to people from maybe like you know higher up in the age bracket like what are some interesting observations that that you know from the lens of 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 a, of a younger crowd right mm. what are some interesting observations you could offer us 
Oh, yeah. Very interesting, because I was just talking about this the other day. Um, <clears throat> it's not a very positive answer, though, but it, it's honest. So I'm going to say it. Um, okay. When I created my account, I was kind of pushed into it by a friend of mine. Um, because, you know, my, my, my focus was on photography at the time. And I wanted to combine two and two, um, one on one together. So, <clears throat> and then it quickly became, I use, I started using this account to reach out to people because, you know, as you get more and more into it, it seemed almost unprofessional to reach out to watch people through, through like a private account, right? People don't really know who you are. Um, so I wanted to start accounting based on convenience. And at the beginning, the people that I reached out to were all, um, most of them were, you know, much, much older than me and much more seasoned and experienced. And <clears throat> I took it as a very cherished and, and, and valuable learning opportunity. Um, just, just, it's like a swamp of information that you're just sw swimming in. Um, and then I, as I progressed, it kind of became the, the position shifted a little where I feel more confident in myself in conversing this topic because I have been learning and while I still view them as like a mentor figure, um, it's just, I, I still, you know, remind myself just how young I am and, 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 um, I need to be confident and step out of my comfort zone to talk to these people. And I think I have gotten better at it. But recently, I've started to notice, right, that, okay, so, so that's like before, that's like when I first started and, and reaching out for knowledge per se. Um, but then recently, you know, I've had my account for about two years now, and I've also met a lot of young people on Instagram. So around the same age as I am. And it is very different talking to the younger crowd because there's not that sense of the age barrier and you speak more freely and in a more careless, uh, uh, carefree manner. I mean, it's more comfortable. And most of the time it's not about watches, right? You could be talking about um, lifestyle or sneakers or trading aspects. But that point aside, the not so positive part that I want that I brought up at the beginning is I have started to realize that people don't really take me as seriously. If you if if you don't know my back, like if we don't know each other that well, and um, people don't take me as seriously as um, someone who who knows who I am and knows about my age, but you know have spoken. Um, and spend time conversing with me. Um, so what does that say? That says, you know, given the face value, someone who is young in their early 20s, um, I don't want to talk about gender, but it does have to, you know, have to have a role in this, I, I believe. Um, I don't think gets taken seriously most of the time. And, and it's not just you know, asking about stuff. It's um, like, a, a, like a range of things, right? Like sometimes I would reach out and then they would never even reply. Or um, I respond and then 
all of a sudden like out of nowhere just dead end like no no replies no responses um or when even when i go um like gonna sound bad but even when i when when i went to you know geneva for a little bit and i was making appointments i was getting pushed to um accommodate other people because i was alone i was young and maybe because i'm i don't know i mean i don't know i can only speculate here and it didn't make sense to me until i kind of brought it up with another collector who's from monaco and he's the same age as me and we're just talking about it and then it ended up a lot of the experiences that we've had um he also doesn't think he gets taken seriously because of his age and then it just kind of became this topic that we, we were talking about in a group chat a lot of young collectors started speaking up and was like yeah no like you thought that was just yourself no, no 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 it totally happens to me as well whenever I walk into a boutique or whatever make an appointment um people don't show me the things um because of my age they they think that I don't know what I'm talking about and then the next day I come with like um older collector that I know and call friends suddenly there's a whole tray of watches we can try on I've never had that experience because I haven't really walked into many boutiques or ADs, but it is an experience that resonated with a lot of people. So um, to end on a positive note, I think I can see why the age is somewhat of a use. Mm, the age factor is used as a very face value judgment on the person, right? Because it is what you notice about another person when you first meet them, right? You you notice how they look, their 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 facial structures, um, and their age, right? Are they student? Are they working? And that gets a part of how you judge a stranger when you first see them. And it's not something that I complain about because I think it's just normal day-to-day life like it, it is how we use to it is one of the factors that we use to judge the other person or get to know the other person I just wish that and it's not gonna work because you know it's all biological at this point I so I can only you know dress more maturely and people take me more seriously but I but I do wish that you know brands or whatever if you're hearing this if a young kid like were to go on a solo trip and make some appointments to see some watches that she really cares about, um, don't push her to accommodate other groups of more experienced collectors or older collectors. Because while I do understand, like, yeah, they might have more purchasing power and they're a group and, you know, it's more people, it does hurt. Um, And... Yeah, but I, again, I understand. Like, I'm, I'm a really easy person. I don't hold grudges. It's just, it does disappoint me a little bit. And I wish, um, I wish it. I was that a positive note. Often. I think okay, it's positive. On a positive note, you should enjoy this because the three of us were like, hey, please don't take us so seriously. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's true. <laughs> 
true. It's <laughs> people say, I have, it's people, they, they come up to you and say, is, is that voice? No, no, no. You, you got it mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah. it, it, that's interesting to hear. Um, I mean, but there's a bit of a paradigm shift, I think. I think what we discussed earlier with the sort of the new wave of younger collectors coming into the scene. And I've met plenty of really young people with, you know, sort of unparalleled levels of passion and knowledge. Um, and, um, and, it, it, and, and sort of platforms like Instagram is so fascinating because you could be faceless. Nobody would know who your age. They would just judge you based on the information that you end up posting or, you know, the pictures that you've taken so forth. Yeah. Um, so you, it, you have a much more of a neutral sort of a baseline to be judged on, uh, mm-hmm. on right? But um, mm-hmm. But in person, I mean, you know, I guess watches were always a symbol of um, the whole marketing revolved around how much have you achieved in your life so far? And, you know, yep. age just happens to have a very linear correlation with, you know, how much you've achieved. So, you know, at least in the past anyway. And once again, that that, that whole is that that whole aspect is another discussion for another day. And, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it's a whole different, you know, um, uh, multiple sort of angles to sort of talking about this, but, uh, um, but, you know, th- those are all very old paradigms, right? I think. Um, mm. uh, but, but there are paradigm for a reason, right? Like we're so used to using them and being um, a part of our lives. So I guess the positive note that I did want um, that I mentioned before is I understand it. I don't hold a grudge. I just wish that, uh, you know, people, took us a little bit more seriously and um which you know again this is face value right after you get to know the person then they're like oh you actually know your stuff right but then when you first meet them of course we make certain uh speculations face value so that's 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 very interesting point very interesting point considering a lot of brands want to target young generation the young generation then comes and they don't take care of them exactly right like doesn't make sense and then also you know the marketing around watches is still very like oh my god like how old is that now still going about like success and um yeah like at middle age 35 year old you know if you look at all the poster campaigns it's that image right like you say you want to target the younger generation like literally did you just expect them to walk in like you know right yeah exactly yeah Okay, so uh, we're moving on to the last bit here, which is the quick fire. We have 10 questions. Are you ready? Okay, all right. And, and, and short answers, I'm assuming, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short answers. Short all answers. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, your favorite go to vacation spot? You guys, you really have to rub it in, huh? Mm. You think I take vacations? Last year, when I took a vacation, I stayed home and watched and, and changed my kids' diaper. I'll just say, you're, 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 you're fooling me. I mean, really, I mean, I, this is this is this is so out of line for me like you, why why are you doing this to me like they're, they're, <laughs> I, 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 it's actually a very difficult question for me because I, it's been a long time since i've ever had a real vacation, but... i know what d is gonna say he's gonna say the toilet <laughs> toilet. <laughs> this is my daily vacation time i mean that that's that's as much as i get i mean it's, it, you nailed it um, but i i really like honolulu I, I i i go there for business a lot um we have clients there and i end up using that as so i just from familiarity you know it just it just mm-hmm. became like a second home uh that unfortunately i haven't been a chance to go the past couple of years but you know i go there once or twice a year from new york and 
it just made a lot of good memories there. It just, it just, I just feel comfortable. I don't have to worry about anything, you know, just like, I know where things are. I know where all the good, you know, spots are, you know, I, I know what mm-hmm. food to get and, you know, just, Hey, what are you talking about? You're going on vacation next week. Yeah. I've never, I'm, first time ever. Like, this is like, I've never been to the keys before. I mean, it's just, you know, so it's, we're, you have no idea how stressed out we are right now. We are super stressed out. This is like, like my wife and I are paralyzed at this point. Like, because of the kids no yeah just because of the trip it's not a vacation for us anymore wait until you have two little kids okay and you know it's it's, you you okay okay i would say honolulu is a kind of a one of our favorites um you know familiarity and all that yeah okay cool uh next question what watch are you gonna take to the keys i will take the g-shock and uh, AP Offshore, the Titanium Offshore that I recently posted. Uh, maybe uh, a yellow gold uh, Rolex GMT. Mm-hmm. Um, that also happens to be my birth year watch. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I always think that that kind of yellow gold, all gold sort of you know, style look is a, is a, is a very... Uh, cool look on the beach for some reason but mm-hmm. that's just me and my mental image you know mm-hmm. good news is i'm going to a place where there aren't that many other people around so i could enjoy me and my self image a lot so you know mm-hmm. noted okay um what will be your children's first watch if well, they- i already got my uh, first kid uh, a little swatch that one of those flick black watches um he really likes cars so there was one with a you know um a fire engine theme on on the watch uh he does not like wearing it um, <laughs> has to grow into it <laughs> he hasn't, yeah, yeah he hasn't grown into it. so i you know that's a good i mean once again i i i, I all i know is that i don't want to force it on them right because mm. i i that's that's the thing i actually worry the most is my passion going to get in the way of them ever enjoying watches the way i'm able to enjoy watches right like like as 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 i discussed early on one of the reasons why i'm able to enjoy watches now at this age you know point where i'm at right now is because precisely because i've had zero exposure to this you know all throughout the first say 30 years of my life mm-hmm. you know and yeah. you know if if kids if my kids think that like you know seeing these cool watches around you know and watch books everywhere in the house is kind of and they get desensitized to it right it's not so special anymore to them they might still love them, but certainly it ain't going to be, you know, something so special where it's like they made the discovery. It, 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 it loses a bit of a personal touch. Mm-hmm. So maybe they got to go find their own thing, you know, mm-hmm. but um, we'll see, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, watches or cars? That's ah, a tough one. It's, you uh, had to pick one. I, I've, had, I've had a lot of wrestling over this. <sighs> Yep. And like honestly, this is this has been a very, very diff- difficult question for me personally, because cars mm-hmm. I can enjoy with my family um, and make memories together and watches is a very personal journey. Right. Um, I've leaned much more heavily towards cars for that reason recently, mm-hmm. because I could take my I've, I've already made some really wonderful memories with my kids, you know, uh, you know, in my car together, you know, going on road trips um you know watches can't do that right mm-hmm. um but also there's something more ephemeral about 
cars, right? You you wreck a car, it's done. You know, it's not it's not like watches where I mean, watches, yes. I mean, if somebody steals it or you you know you break it, it's it's gone too. But it's repairable, right? If you mm. break, it. and there's there's something more there there's a there's a there's a sense of permanence to watches that doesn't exist with cars. Cars are consumable at the end of the day. So I think from that perspective, I have to say watches because they they feel like they they feel more permanent. Mm. Permanent as in like something you could pass on. I um perhaps 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 that's a big element of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um something that feels like it will outlive sort of me. I mean obviously many of the classic cars that we see today have would have outlived me if I if we were born in the same age, you know, the same time as as the cars were born. Yep. Um but uh so clearly there are ways to make it work, but in general, uh, generally speaking, like it's uh, cars feel like um, outside of a very few select examples. But once again, those are the, those cars, once you get into those collector cars, you can't drive them to the supermarket, you know, with your kids either. That's kind of a, yeah, yeah it's a difficult um, mm. yeah. watches. I think still watches for me. Mm. I've got a follow on question from that. I don't know if it can take up another question of yours, Jack, but yeah, sure. how important has your watch journey being to your own personal journey, your personal development? Because you mentioned, you know, your kids having to find, maybe find their own thing. But what has watches given you? You know, you obviously very, you, you work very hard, but how has watches helped you in self-develop? If I at think, all? once again, I've been able to connect and meet and form friendships with people of all age brackets, all different industries, all different backgrounds, people I would have never expected to meet, let alone become close friends with if it wasn't for watches. Um, I can't think of something that has single-handedly transformed sort of my personal growth from that perspective. Uh, it's, it's, it's truly, I mean, like many of, many of these people that, that I consider cool as close friends are, if it wasn't for watches, I would have never met these people. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, difficult question uh maybe for you like what one brand that you think is doing everything right at this point uh g-shock is that's a <laughs> no i'm uh that's a good question um geez that's a we could come back to it if you want one brand huh yeah is it that's doing everything right um, maybe, maybe not everything, but then that is doing it right in your eyes. Uh, this is going to sound very cliche, but I think you got to give it to Patek Philippe for, I think, overall doing things right. Mm. You know, I, I'm not saying that it's an A-plus job all around, but, you know, compared to the, the rest of the scene, I think, I think they still kind of, do it the right way and yes i mean we could talk all on and on about this whole tiffany you know nautilus thing and how they've sold out and all that and the where does the future hold and so forth but in the grand scheme of things i think they do they, they probably do things the best mm. what's your opinion on, on the tiffany nautilus i've never seen you discuss it because um, people were very passionate on instagram when that came out I mean, it's a genius move, really, actually, the way the way the, you know, 
that family has sort of flexed its marketing muscle, right? Um, I mean, they, they know what they're doing. Uh, this piece has a very, very well-defined purpose, which is to continue to build a hype around the brand, mm-hmm. turn Tiffany & Co. from a, from a middle segment jewelry shop that was, you know, kind of, you know, doing so-so, you know, stuck in malls and so forth to, 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 you know, vault, vaulted up to the top of the tier, you know, jewelry brand, right. That amongst the young generation and, and, and this selective process of the way they have sort of carefully, very carefully, right. None of this is ever a mistake in terms of how, and how pieces got shown when pieces got shown by whom, I mean, expect more of this to come, right? Obviously, given the number of pieces that are out there, but it is an absolutely a genius move from a marketing perspective. Um, I think um, uh, once again, it was it was you know it was you know it was you know LVMH and Tiffany you know leading the show. You know, Paddock had really very little to do with it. I would say um, other than just tag along, but um, fantastic move on their part. Um, do I like it? I mean. Look, if, if I if I got one, I'd certainly wear it. You know, I have no issues with it. I don't think it's ugly. I mean, it's just it's what it is. You know, it's not. Um, uh, so, um, but also, I I'm very realistic in that. You know, it's it's not a piece that you know uh, regular people are not ever going to get to wear, right? It's just not. Mm-hmm. It's just not that piece. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it had a very well-defined purpose and it's accomplished very well. I think that's, that's where it stands for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't really, it lists, it doesn't really stir up any more of an emotional response than, you know, like a, like a slow clap, well done type of a, you know, response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the, on the marketing or on the watch. On the marketing. The watch is what it is. The watch is, the, you know, the, what, what, what new thing does the watch bring? Right. I mean, it doesn't, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing to, you know poor about you know with the watch it's just a different color dial right it's just ultimately the whole setup and the marketing i mean they, they've really taken this to the whole a whole new level that i don't think any watch brand has done anything like this ever before mm. you know at, at this scale and at this sort of ambition mm-hmm. um you know of bringing all the celebrities from all sorts of you know you know whether it's fashion music you know sports it's just it's wow i'm i'm, I'm it's very impressive Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very coordinated effort very impressive mm-hmm. um a follow-up to my previous question which is um one brand that you think could be doing better oh so like they have the fundamentals but aren't making proper choices in your eyes or yeah could be doing better in well, Vasher, i mean like i'm just going to talk about the, the the sort of the sort of you know the i guess the big three or mm-hmm. Let's just stick with the Holy Trinity or, you know, if, just for the ease of argument, because I think, you know, this we this would turn into another whole, you know, session over a full day's worth of talk if we want to talk about how every single brand can improve. Because, you know, I think we have, we're, we're more disappointed than pleased with many of the brands out there, right? I, generally mm-hmm. speaking, because it's easy to criticize as a customer anyway. But like, I mean, Vacheron could start by making decent looking watches. I think that's a good start. Um, <laughs> I mean... I'm not asking for much here, right? Just one simple, one simple answer. Um, I mean, overseas is you know starting to get some hype. And look, I mean, they've they've done a great job trying to revive that. And and and, and the latest line of the ultra thin overseas models are absolutely stunning. I think it's going it's getting some really good uh, recognition. But uh, you know, they they need they need a solid like you know few back to back home runs. I think in terms of design and desirability of watches. Um, AP 
uh, I think they've taken sort of, it's sort of like they wanted to do what Tiffany slash Paddock has done, but really kind of had a B plus execution, I feel. Mm. And pissed off way more people in the process than they, you know, probably should have um, is the, is the feeling I'm getting. I mean, you know, I wasn't any sort of directly involved in any sort of, you know, issue with AP other than sort of uh, the usual sort of attitudes, that, you know, that you get at, you know, walking into boutiques, like, like, you know, looking like a bum. Um, um, but, uh, uh, you know, once again, you know, what is, what, what is their brand? You know, if it wasn't for the Royal Oak. Right. And like, how do they make this into a sustainable franchise, um, past the Royal Oak? Um, especially if you're, if they're losing existing, you know, loyalty from existing customers, you know, at this kind of a pace, um, it's, it just seems like their strategies feel very short-sighted. Um, and, um, while they may be vastly successful in, in the current sort of uh, environment and, and, and bringing in a lot of sort of, um, newcomers into the field and so forth, once again, I'm making very broad strokes of judgment here, but, um, um, it seems like they could use, uh, you know, a slightly more, uh, uh, what's the right word here? Uh, uh, a, a little better of an approach, you know, for lack of any, you know, more refined word there. Um, and of course I think, uh, you know, coming up with a, it's hard, right? I mean, what do you what do you do after the Royal Oak when your entire brand right now is essentially, despite all the wonderful things they've done in the past and and um, you know things that they should get credit for now, even w- within the Code series, right? I mean, there are watches that do deserve attention, but it's just difficult to live under the shadows forever of of the Royal Oak. At least Patek Philippe has has other crazy grand complications and you know other cool things that are happening on a regular basis. And what 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 does AP have, right? It's it's hard to it's much harder to sort of formulate that answer so i don't know um you know as you know as for everybody else i mean you know it's just uh you know a collector has his views but once again uh unclear how relevant that is um mm-hmm. uh, i'm really I'm interested yeah go ahead. Okay. i was gonna say i'm really interested to see what ap does in 2023 yeah like after this whole 50th anniversary yeah. because I mean, it's all, it's going to be all Royal Oaks for this year, uh, for the upcoming year and see what they come up with in, in 2023. So I've heard a lot of positive responses about how AP did their rollout of the 50th anniversary pieces. Um, you know, it seems like that was reasonably well received. I mean, look, I mean, the actual level of excitement that I had over the pieces is a separate issue altogether. Right. Mm. But, um, just the, the media rollout and so forth. I think you know people seem to be reasonably okay with, but the, we'll see. I mean, they got to get pieces in you know people's hands who are willing to pay the money for it, and w- without all without reducing the hype, because once that hype starts to go down, it's a it's a it's a it's a one way train, unfortunately for for all these brands, right? So mm-hmm. it's a tough thing to balance. How do you maintain that hype and continue to sort of you know uh, build on that brand equity while without you know without killing off the base, right? You can't. You know, there's only so much choking you can do you know, before you kill the person. Mm-hmm. Okay, last two questions. Um, one piece of advice for someone who is looking to get started, and let me clarify advice. Like, 
I think right now with all this buzz going on is it's very easy for someone who's not experienced to get lost. So what would you say or suggest to someone who's like a newbie and um, that could clear it up a little bit for them? So cancel out a little bit of the noise. Uh, I mean, the easy answer is buy what you love, right? Um, I think it's it's so easy to take ourselves very seriously, even for newcomers nowadays with sort of all the information and hype that's surrounding here. I think we just got to take a step back and go back to the fundamentals of why we're buying watches. It's got to make you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people buy, people, you know, watches have always been something to ex- express our identity, express our sort of um, character, right? And I think that we should not forget about that. You know, we still use watches for whatever reason, however we use it ultimately is an expression of our self-identity, right? And a real affirmation of it in many ways, right? It's, it's all, it's a process that goes together. And I think, I think people, it's, it, you know, so many people who have never talked, thought about, thought about watches or talked about watches in the past are just learning, learning about watches. And the only thing they can think of is, you know, you know, what the market has done in the past and which has the most, you know, highest investment potential. And I think that's absolutely the wrong, that's just, that's just the, you know, highway to, you know, disappointment, I feel. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think we just have to, once again, we can't ignore the financial aspects of it, but uh, I think uh, it would be very important for all newcomers to really think about, you know, just go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you want to wear? What would you love to wear, right? What makes you feel good? You know, mm-hmm. what, what makes you smile when you look at your wrist with the watch on? I think that's mm-hmm. those are really some key aspects. Mm-hmm. And uh, last but not least, your next piece. Do you have anything planned in in mind, or anything that you're looking um, to acquire down the road? Uh, I'm. Uh, there what was are you thinking about? What are you thinking to, about at night? Yeah. I mean, there was a piece that I got very close to acquiring and, you know, you and I have discussed this, um, uh, that, that fell through, but, uh, you know, once again, that's, I'm sort of, you know, whatever, if it comes through, it comes through, it could take, I mean, I'm, I'm being patient with these things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but right now, a very exciting thing is, uh, I've, uh, uh, I've committed to a project from an, an independent watchmaker, uh, whose name is still sort of all under embargo. Um, mm. Uh, there, as mentioned earlier, there are so many wonderful independents and, you know, watchmaking projects that have sort of sprouted up in the past couple of years. Um, and I think they're all wonderful, but to, for, for the first time in a while, I, I think I found something that really sort of, uh, that resonated with me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I think, you know, if we're lucky 2024, maybe, you know, Maybe mm-hmm. two, three, two, three, you know, maybe four years. Depending where I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be patient uh, mm-hmm. with the progress. I know good things take time, and there will be delays inevitably. Um, but uh, you know, I'm very excited about that. And this was a very recent development. Um, mm-hmm. The commitment and and sort of the finalization was sort of you know uh, a very recent development. And um, and and hopefully, uh, you know, as time progresses uh, i'll be able to share more with you guys but uh th- that is a very exciting project i'm very happy and proud to be involved in in sort mm-hmm. of uh essentially uh funding um a new venture uh, mm-hmm. yeah. great okay uh thank you so much d i know it's super late for you so thank you for hanging out with us for 
um, better half of yeah. Thank hour. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, oh, thank thank you guys. I mean, this is a big honor for me. And look, I mean, I I you know, it's it's wonderful to meet you guys, and hopefully we could all sort of meet in person down the line and hang out and you know talk watches and other things. We took your podcast virginity. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I am a so free man. Yeah. And really you know go you out and, so uh, young. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. Right, Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.